to you by our friends at Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and somewhere in Western Los Angeles. They were created by our very good friend, Bob Forrest, and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission is to treat addiction and alcoholism with connection and compassion rather than control. They have many decades of treating patients with co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, and that's nothing compared to the most important thing, which is that everyone that I know that has been there has only said good things. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California and you want amenities including equine therapy, fucking surfing, fucking sound bath meditation, of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. And if you're willing to go to Southern California and you're fucked, go to Oro. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Your Sober Buddy. If you ever wanted an app to help you get or stay sober, the answer is Your Sober Buddy. Whether you are sober curious and you're trying to figure out if you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict or you have years and years and years in recovery and you are looking for some support on how to stay mindful, how to stay present, your sober buddy. It's amazing. I use it every day. I cannot suggest it enough. There's a free sober tracker if you want to boast about your clean time. And if you don't, use it for the challenges. I use it for the challenges. It's available at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Get a sober buddy in your pocket. Go to YourSoberBuddy.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. Each and every person in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for recovery. Maybe it's a husband, a wife, son, daughter, mom, dad, best friend, colleague, job, hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On Dopey, our mission includes building a strong community, the importance of staying connected and working to break the stigma, having fun, telling fucked up drug stories, and other dumb shit. This is why we've partnered with Soberlink, to expand and strengthen our community even further. Not to mention, Chris used Soberlink when we recorded every episode. Soberlink, so we feel close to them. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. 
The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or a relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery through an online forum where people can read and share their recovery stories. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at www.soberlink.com dopey. Enough with the real ads. Here's the fucking show. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and other dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and I'm at my dad's opulent lake house. It is night. My older daughter, Nora, is in her room watching YouTube. My younger daughter, Susan, is upstairs getting put to bed by my beautiful partner, Linda. My dad is somewhere else, sequestered. He will join us later. Maybe Linda will pop in as well. But for now, it's just uh, me and you. And I have to say, this is the last vacation of the summer, and it's been good and relaxing. And if you want to hear some of the misadventures of the summer, join Patreon. Last week on Patreon, me and I, I told Aaron the detailed story of what happened in York, Maine. And um, we're in uh, upstate New York on the border of New York and Vermont right now at my dad's opulent lake house yesterday me and Nora swam across the whole lake which was pretty awesome and uh we've been paddle boarding and fucking row boating and I've caught frogs today and I have to say that uh before we get into the drugs addiction and dumb shit that I'm incredibly grateful for my life and I still love making the show we we hit eight million downloads last week I hit seven years two weeks ago, seven years of recovery. I'm going to give the old, I don't know. I don't know if you can hear that. Is, is that playing? I don't think that's even fucking playing. I was trying. Oh, here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to give the applause. <laughs> the applause on the new machine is way dinkier. But I feel good. But before we get into why I feel good, um, we have bad news in the Dopey Nation. Uh, another one of us has died. Uh, the email came in to me, or it's actually a message on Instagram came in to me yesterday from a, a dope who's, you know, I hear from him a lot. His name is Adam. He says, uh, hey, Dave, it's with an extremely heavy heart that I'm writing you today. Another member of the Dopey Nation has fallen. Greg Allinger, uh, October 9th, 1984 to August 20th, 2022. Um and already I'm thinking, like, should I have started the show by saying how good my life is and how grateful I am when this this young person just died? He was 38. And, and, and I remember when Chris died, I had gotten a temporary sponsor who talked about stepping over bodies in order to maintain sobriety and how much I hated to hear that. And I still hate to hear that. And I don't look at it as stepping over bodies. I look at it like we move forward the best we can and we acknowledge people who die, people who relapse. You know, if you relapse and you're not dead, that means you can live. You can experience recovery. Maybe you can have a nice life using. I I couldn't. 
Anyway, I'm going to read this email. I just want, I felt bad or this Instagram message. Greg and I met as teenagers when I was moved to Atlanta for my first treatment. I dated his sister for five years in my 20s, over which time he and I became very close. Greg struggled with opiates for a long time, at least the last 15 years. We used together on occasion. I remember an embarrassing display over the holidays one year where we both ended up nodding into our Christmas dinners as his entire family got angrier and angrier. In the last five years, we spoke many times about how much we hated using, but always got sucked back in. He was the first person I would dial when I felt like I couldn't take it anymore. When I needed to vent and have someone really understand what it was like to be so miserable that the only thing that will make you get out of bed is a call from the dope man. We called each other crying, scared, strung out, or simply white-knuckling it through a bout of sobriety or abstinence. He wanted to be clean so badly. Well, it finally happened. He didn't get clean. His sister called me crying a few days ago to tell me he was gone. He had overdosed and was found in the middle of the street unresponsive. He was resuscitated but had been without a pulse for over 10 minutes and had lost brain function. He was kept alive in the hospital in Baton Rouge, Louisiana until his mom could drive down from Atlanta to say goodbye. He's going to be missed by many. Greg loved hard. If he cared about you, he made sure that you knew. He is survived by his two sons, Ashton and Jax. His family is organizing a celebration of his life. Oh, it's so sad. On his upcoming birthday, October 9th, he would have been 38. I can't believe he's gone. He is actually the one who turned me on to Dopey. I'm still struggling, but this was the push I needed to go start contacting clinics near me so I can start getting the Vivitrol shot. Love what you do, Dave. Cheers. And, you know, I'm sorry, Adam. That's why I wrote him back. And this is to Adam, and this is to anybody out there that's using and, and wants some help. First of all, if you have insurance, we can get you into treatment. I'm sure you could get yourself into treatment, but we can get you in. If you don't have insurance and you want to go to treatment, you you can reach out. But the thing is that people have been reaching out but unwilling to do what the treatment center wants of them. And if you're looking for a free ride, you better come fucking super willing. You know, they're not going to ask you to get naked and wear a sandwich board in front of the Empire State Building. They're going to be like, you can't have your phone and you have to stay here for a month or really basic stuff that really helps you get sober. So first of all, I want to just say uh, rest in peace, Greg. And, um, you know, his relationship with Greg kind of reminds me of me and Todd. And uh, and being at the lake always reminds me of Todd because it was at the lake where uh, Todd lived very close to the lake. And um, I remember one time I was up here and I tried to kick here a bunch of times. And I've told the story on Dopey. One time me and my friend DK came up here and to kick. Because it's a very romantic place to kick. It's like the wilderness and it's like a movie. You go up here and you're sequestered and, you know, you're like, it's like Rocky Five or something. It's always a very romantic idea that you can lock yourself away in the wilderness with a habit, go through it, you know, get in shape, write a book and come home clean. And every time I tried to come here, it didn't happen. You know, the classic story was me and DK came up here before my parents redid the place and the place was a total dump and we brought some weird pills and we wound up snorting them and they weren't meant to be snorted and they froze our nose it was terrible and we were just sick and miserable and we drove around albany looking for drugs and we didn't find anything and we went home and 
you know, I think we, we, we paged the guy in Westchester, KK. God bless KK. I'm sure KK is out there listening to Dopey. Um, and he met us at home with the stuff and we met and we did not get clean. And the one other time I begged, I came up sick and I begged Todd to drive me home and Todd picked me up at Stewart's and, uh, he wouldn't do it until I offered him my velvet underground box set. And, uh, he drove me home and we got dope and I gave him my velvet underground box set and I actually talked about this on Good Morning Dopey this morning. And you can see the beauty of the lake on Good Morning Dopey this week. I think it's mostly up here. And, you know, subscribe to YouTube. Check out Good Morning Dopey. See the lake. Feel the feels. Um, what was I going to say? Subscribe to YouTube is the point. Also, subscribe to Patreon. Like I said, the me and Aaron go over the misadventures in York, Maine on Patreon. It's at www dot patreon.com slash dopey podcast but there's bigger news than all that you guys know DopeyCon is coming and we're almost sold out so if you want to come to DopeyCon, go to the dopeypodcast.com click on the link and buy your tickets because they're going to be gone in a minute it's on october 1st it's in manhattan it's at the church of the holy apostles brandon novak's going to be there i'm going to be there andy roy is going to be there aaron carr is going to be there Harm reduction guru, New York Times writer, journalist, and best-selling author Maya Solowitz is going to be there. Uh, my dad is going to be there. There's going to be a lot of people there. Skinny Vinny just might be there. Smiling Joe just confirmed. He will definitely be there. Maybe Fentanyl J will be there. Ray Brown will be there. Lots of dopes will be there. Come one, come all. And maybe you're feeling like you don't have enough money to come to DopeyCon. I know a bunch of people in the Dopey Nation who are feeling like it's too expensive of a trip. Now, there is a dope in the Dopey Nation. Let's call him Santa Claus. He is setting up a scholarship for the maximum he can pay is 500 bucks for a flight and a hotel or 500 bucks towards a flight and a hotel to DopeyCon. I will kick in the ticket. Also, I forgot to say, DopeyCon is sponsored by Katz, or not sponsored by, well, maybe it will be sponsored by, but it will be catered by Katz's Deli. Hopefully, I won't have to spend too much money on that. Hopefully, the boss wants to throw it down for a donation to the Dopey Foundation. But there will be pastrami. There will also be cookie dough from Dope. This thing is going to be really happening. But back to the scholarship. There's an anonymous Dope who wants to get someone, some poor... Sweet dope to DopeyCon. He's willing to give 500 bucks towards a flight and a hotel. And what we want is a DopeyCon theme song. The generous patron is a musician, and we need a better theme song. We need more theme songs, and we need a theme song for DopeyCon. So send in a theme song for DopeyCon. Make it a minute. Make it as good as you can. We'll play a lot of contestants on the show on Patreon, here and there, we will find a winner, and the winner gets 500 bucks towards uh, a trip to DopeyCon. So that, I think, is very exciting. Today on the show, we have a woman named Ingrid Casares. Ingrid Casares is a famous nightclub owner. She's probably most famous for being best friends with Madonna, the material girl. Uh, Ingrid Casares has an amazing story uh, my favorite thing about uh, 
Ingrid, is that she contacted me to come on Dopey. Uh, she's also affiliated with Paris Hilton. She's a, she's a big deal, Ingrid. And, uh, and she was a pleasure. She came to my dad's house to record. The funniest thing, I mean, I really enjoyed my conversation with Ingrid. And I, I think I say it on the, on the interview. I think it's one of the more comprehensive cocaine dopies ever. She's also like this big nightclub owner. She started South Beach. She's an interesting character for sure. But the thing that lasts longest in my head was that when I went downstairs to meet her at my dad, she said, oh, I expected you to look so much younger. So, you know, right now I have like this long, white, mossy beard. Mossy. Mossy. I used to not have a Long Island accent. Mossy beard. Uh, but then I didn't. But she said uh, she expected me to be much younger. Anyway, without further ado, a long, dopey conversation with the great Ingrid Casares. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and I am joined by a pioneer of Miami South Beach nightlife. You couldn't see Madonna and not see this woman together in the 90s. Her name is Ingrid Casares. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. That's so cool. Like, yeah. and, and how is it to be a multimillionaire in such a shitty Jewish apartment? How does it feel? Oh my God, this is like where I, I grew up in. Your apartment's perfectly fine. What do you mean a multi-millionaire? Well, I was reading about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, come on. You're, and you're going to see Madonna later today? Yes. Will you please say hello for me? I will. I met Madonna when I was in seventh grade. In se Where? Doing what? Okay. I went to junior high school and high school and elementary school on the Upper East Side. And Madonna was shooting Who's That Girl? And when I was in seventh grade, they gave you a free period. Right. So Monday morning, I didn't have a first period. I had a free period in there. Madonna shooting fucking Who's That Girl on 94th Street between Madison and 5th. And I'm standing there, and she's in the taxi shooting a scene in the taxi. Oh, cool. And she goes, hey. And I was like, hey. And she's like, did you cut class to come here? And I was like, no, I actually have a free period. And back then, like, I was so fucking slovenly that yeah. my shoelaces were totally untied, like not just untied, but like down to the bottom. Right. And she goes, your shoelaces are untied. And I said, yes, <laughs> but it was a big moment Sounds for like me. Her. It was a big moment for me. Was she famous at the time? Yeah. So she was, you recognized her. Of course. Right, right, she right. She was shooting Who's That Girl? She was yeah. married to Sean Penn. She's Madonna. Exactly. When did you meet Madonna? I met her in 1991 on her 33rd birthday. What was the what was the, the deal? The, the deal. I had a friend of mine. I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and a friend of mine was friends with her, and she invited me to go to her birthday party. It was her thirty third birthday, and so sort of that's where. Who was the friend? Was it Sandra Bernhardt? It was Sandra. Nice. Bernhardt. Yes, and so after that, her and I became friendly, Madonna and I, and then she asked me to do her sex book, which was shooting in Miami. This is back in 1991. South Beach was just... Pre-South Beach pre, heyday. Pre-South Beach. There was nothing there. Right. And so we shot the book down there, and I was a, a big runner. And she was a big runner, and we started running together. And sort of that's how our friendship sort of developed through the years, really through running and exercise, because we were such both big exercise people. Are you still running? 
No, I can't run anymore because of all the surgeries I've had. I used to run like an addict, right? So I used to run 60 miles a week. Wow. So I was, I got cardiomyopathy. Yeah, I, I, it's, I'll talk about that. When's the first time you got high? It was 15. I was at an all girl Catholic school, which was Miami back in the seventies. It was all Catholic. You just, it's not like it is today. There were Cuban, Irish, and Italians with these big families, 16 kids, you know, the big Irish Catholic family. And then that was down in South Miami and North Miami was mostly Jewish and Miami beach. But we lived in South Miami. I lived in an area called Coral Gables. And there's something called the Beanie Dance. I jumped over the fence. These girls, older girls, seniors said, hey, you want to go get beer? I said, sure. I went to go get beer. They lit up. They rolled a joint. And yeah, have you ever smoked before? And I said, yeah, which I had never. Smoked a joint with them. I was like, this is no big deal. And that's the first time I got high. Did you love it the first time? I think I did. I think I loved it the first what time. What was the Beanie Dance? It was some beanie dance that they would do at, at, at this Catholic school that you had to like that boys, the, then you had the all boys school come over and they would dance. And I ended up, I think getting suspended because they caught me jumping over the fence. I had a lot of addict behavior before I was an addict. Like what else? In high school, I was very, I was a great student. I was always very smart, but I was very unruly. And my friend took the SAT for me. I got caught by the SAT boards. How did they catch you? Well, what happened was the first time I went and took the SAT the first time I had applied for two colleges, three colleges. And did you know you were interested in nightlife and all that shit when you were a kid or no? Not at all. What were you interested in? I was I was really I was a great, amazing athlete. And anything I did, I was all day, all county, all this. I played tennis. I, I was very, very competitive, and I played sports. I was a great water skier. I was a great snow skier, volleyball player, basketball player. I mean, that's what I did in high school. That, I got good grades, but I was just, when it came to behavior. You were focused, focused on athletics. I was, a, no, but it came to my behavior in school. They asked me to leave, and my parents what kind of shit were you doing that they asked you to leave and how did you get caught on the sats though first okay so how i got caught in the sat was i the first time i took my sat i think my add i think i had add at the time i didn't even read the i literally just started you know i didn't read the questions i just marked them and i got i think they gave you like a 200 i think i got like a 500 right right so i was like i'm never getting into college like this so i asked a friend of mine Listen, if I give you my ID, we kind of looked alike. Back then, there was no computers. There was nothing, right? So if I give you my, will you go ahead and take the SAT for me? She said, sure. So she went in that day. I was shitting a brick, right? I was like, oh, my God, we're going to get caught, blah, blah, blah. She went in there, no problem. She showed my ID. We don't even look that much. We had brown hair and brown eyes, but that was it. She registered as me, got in there, so I get a great score. What did she get? I I think over a thousand, right? Okay. So it was a big a big difference. How much money did you give her? I didn't give her any money. She did it as my friend. But I listen. I I used to take. I had a car. She didn't. So I used to take her to school. I used to do every like I would cut school with you know like I was always trying to. She uh, believe me. She was doing me a favor, but I did her a hundred thousand favors. So I had someone take a test for me when I like an AP bio test. Did you, did you get caught? No, I didn't get caught. And I, I didn't have him take the SAT for me because I was so ashamed that I would, 
I wasn't going to do that good. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, w- I didn't want to get like, this kid was like a fucking genius and I didn't want to get oh, I like get a, a 1500 and then know that I was an idiot and that yeah. I could never have gotten to 1500. Anyway, back to you getting so caught. She did, so, so what happened was I leave to Europe after high school on a trip. I come back and there's a letter for me. My mom goes, there's a letter, you know, written to us. Did you have someone take your SAT oh, for me? God. And they're like, I was like, holy shit. I You're can't busted. believe it. I'm busted. I I'd already gotten into the University of Miami. I'd already graduated high school. They said they they sent a copy of this letter. What happened was they saw the difference in scores and then they said they had these signature experts. And that that my signature and her signature were completely different. Terrible. Anyways, to make a long story short, they never send this letter to the University of Miami because that's where I went my freshman year. Either they got it and didn't care or they never received this letter from the SAT board because I got in no problem. I mean, like, I wonder if, do you think they really were like, had signature experts or do you think they send that letter to anybody who had that kind of like disparity in test scores? You know what? I look, I still have the letter, believe it or not. My mother kept it for some odd reason. And I think maybe, maybe yes, or maybe no, maybe who knows? Who knows? I, I don't know if there was a signature expert back then. And I think they just saw a discrepancy, yeah, a, a big yeah. discrepancy. I like that you got away with that. I commend, oh, yeah. I commend you for that. I and, was the first person that, now I see these kids that are doing, what is it, Operation Blue or something like that? What was I it? I don't know. What, the, that, that, that big SAT scandal? I was yeah. like, oh, I did that 30 years ago. When it was easy to get away when with it. When it was easy to get away with it. I wouldn't even fuck with it now. What other bad Catholic girl shit were you doing? Oh, God. Bad Catholic. I, that should be a podcast. Bad Catholic, bad Catholic girls. girls. Yeah. Sounds like a, a porn. Yeah, both. So I was so highly allergic to cats, right? Uh-huh. You know, like really allergic to cats. So when I didn't study for an exam, let's say, or I needed, I wanted the day off. So I would have the same friend that took my SAT. Yes. Her and I would go up and down the neighborhood. What was her name? Christina. Okay. So Christina and I would go up and down the neighborhood. I'd say, Christina, you need to find me a cat. She goes, why? I said, look, I didn't study for this exam. I'm so fucked. And by the way, you know, I need to find a cat because I know I'll have an allergic reaction. So I, we would be running in and out it's a of- a fake illness with the cat. Yes, exactly. So what I would do is I'd be literally up and down Coral Gables looking for alley cats. I'd find them, catch them, pet them. By the time I got from the alley cat, where the alley cat was, till I got to school, I was literally broken out in hives. My eyes were swollen like that. I'd tell the teacher, I'm really sick. I have to go home. I'm really, they were like, oh my God, yes, you are. You're really sick. So I'd go to the nurse's office. They get my mom come home, give me Benadryl. I pass out, then give me enough time to study for an exam, or just I'd hang out at home. I love the Benadryl too. So I still take Benadryl. Do you? I, oh no, I, I take Benadryl to help me sleep, and people are questioning my sobriety. No, I nobody has nobody is an expert on your sobriety. Whatever works for you works for you. That's what my opinion is. I agree, and I, and I but I talk about it on the show because I I would hate to not be honest. That's all. Yeah, I get that. So. So when so so I had a lot of that kind of thing, and I was always just learning how to get away with shit. I was always trying to pull one over, and I was very disrupted in class. But what kept me alive? A, I had great grades, and second of all, I was they're a star athlete. And you were just like a natural hustler, and like, I was a natural hustler. Yes, all, obviously, my whole life. you wouldn't be the the empresario of South Beach nightlife yes. if you weren't. When does it transform into like? Getting interested in that stuff, first of all, because like I I can see the connection between, you know, nightlife and drugs. Right. right? And 
and also bad Catholic girl and nightlife and drugs. They, that seems to be like a progression that I can understand. What was like, when did you really get into nightlife? So nightlife became, I think it was more an ends to a meme for me. It was music, which I loved. I started working in the record business in 19... I think 92, I worked for Sony Records. I worked for Gloria and Emilio Stefan. Uh. I worked in Los Angeles and I worked- So were you part of the Miami Sound Machine? I was not. They went to school with me. I was not, but I was brought in to work on a on a guy that they had signed to a label named John Cicada. Sure, And so guy. John Cicada was sort of known in Miami, wasn't known in America. I feel he had, like he was an MTV kind of guy. He was, he had a lot, he had a lot of number one singles and they wanted sort of to make him a look cooler. Let's just put it that way. I worked a lot with Image. I, I worked with Motley Crue. I worked with Shakira. I worked with... I think you need to make me look cooler. Fucking, I, I go to get the door. She's like, wow, you're much older than I expected you to be. <laughs> because you have such a young voice. I, I really thought you were like in your 20s. I don't, you know. I feel like I'm in my 20s. Yeah. I think I think I stopped, you know, intellectually maturing in my 20s. So I think yeah. I'm stuck there I think in we a way. Both, we all did. All right. So back. So you, you start working at Sony. So I worked at Sony. I worked there for a few years and drinking heavy, using heavy. No, no. So this time I was sober. When did you start using in the first place? Okay. So I. So I. When um, did you find that you really enjoyed getting high? And like, what the, was your life like? I would like? say the first time I drank was the first time I fell in love with altering my mind. I was, I will never forget. My sister was having a party back then. The drinking age was 18. My father, you know, we would have parties, you know, with the kegs. I, Keg she, parties. Yeah. She was older than I am. So I was snuck in and got some beers. I was wasted. I was going to go see American Gigolo on. Richard the, Gere. Richard Gere. And I passed out, but I still remember that feeling, right? Cut to now we're going now I'm driving age and we're going to all these weekend parties and stuff and the keg parties and I was drinking. I always drink a little bit more. And then I found the weed, smoked weed, drank until then I found the love of my life, love of my life. I found my drug of choice, which was in 1981, which was cocaine. And believe me, it was by mistake. And that was like, wasn't. And talking about Miami 81, you're talking about the purest. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that like when basically yes. they figured out that cocaine could make some people billionaires? Correct. So, how did you, when so, did you stumble on so it? So, what happened was this guy invited me to go to a New Year's Eve party. And at the time, I was just smoking weed. Most people were just smoking weed and drinking. Cocaine hadn't really gotten to high school level, right? So, I said, hey, do you have some weed. So the guy said, no, but we have this new drug. It's called cocaine. Do you want to try some? We were in the bathroom and I was like, no. Right. I was a little scared, but intrigued. Sure. So I had a couple more drinks and I was like, fuck it. I'm seeing these people dancing and blah, blah, Having blah. Having fun. It Having looks glamorous. Having fun. It looked great. So I said, sure. That was it. He hit me two bumps, two or three bumps. That was it for the night. And I was off to the races then. And then I was trying to find it for my friends and my I wanted to do it on the weekend. Do you remember the first night of Coke? Like, was it really a magical, crazy evening? It was. To me, it was. It was, you know, I've always sort of glamorized drugs back then. Not anymore. Now, now forget it. I'm accused of glamorizing drugs once in a while, but yeah, no, I'm with you. So back then, my whole thing of, you know, just, it was like, I had this whole illusion, you know, of the drug, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer and Scarface. Sure. So, so that was my idol in a, in a, in a lot of ways, which is so demented, but I really like that glamorous 
cocaine. Disinterested. You, disinterested. Like just like a coke whore, right? I mean, it's, there was a billion of those around in Miami. Michelle Pfeiffer played one of the best roles she ever played was in Scarface because I knew so many women like her. What was the, her name in Scarface? Like I Vanessa or something? I don't remember. But Could she, be. she was so like that was something that I never got. Like he doesn't really get to know her. No, not at like, all. Like there's no connection between them. No. Which might, maybe it, that paints the picture of what it is like to be like a Coke whore. Or, totally. Or just like you're on Coke and Coke kind of keeps you from knowing people. Oh, a hundred. And she, she was in it for the Coke and the money. And that was it. That's what her priorities were. She didn't care what her husband did. She wasn't in love with him. And I just knew a lot of women that were addicted to those drug dealers, the quick money. That was so prevalent in Miami in the 80s. I mean, it really built the skyline in Miami, the drug money. Did you know any any big Coke dealers then? Oh, yeah. So, Were you dating any big Coke movers? Yeah, so I was... Okay, so I went to the University of Miami, and the Coke use wasn't heavy at the time, but my parents had figured out that I was doing drugs. How so, did they find out? You know, it's small town. I think people talking more than anything else. Just my father would go, I, I think you're doing coke. I'm not 100% sure, but I think you're doing coke. And your dad was a nice Cuban fellow. Sure. So and he was, was probably very aware of the scene. Because yeah, like, but my father was a very, like a businessman. Wasn't really involved. He was so busy. He was so focused on building his empire, which he did. God bless him. And he was also a compulsive gambler. What was his business? He... Invented something called the impact window, which is after Hurricane Andrew, he lobbied, you know, the state for in order to get a construct, you had to be insured, you had to go through him in order to make these windows. What he did was him and his partner manufactured hurricane window, which are able to withstand 304, you know, they'd lab tested them. And then they patent them. Brilliant. And that's the American Brilliant. dream. It's the American dream. So any skyscraper you see in Miami came from him. Wow. That's all him. So how did he become a cocaine detector? You know, remember I told you he was a gambler. So, you know, he would always had stacks of cash and I would be stealing stacks of cash from him. So I think between the he money. No he noticed the stacks. He noticed the money missing. It just, just a lot of my kind of behavior. But it wasn't as bad, right? So anyways, that, that freshman year, during spring break, I got into a car accident. I was drinking, driving, and I wrecked a car that didn't belong to me. And I was, thank God, not arrested. And the guy, the other guy ran a red light. I ran a red light. The other guy, nothing happened to him. But my family said, listen, you got big, you need to get your shit together. So were you living in clubs at that point? Were you no. just like going There out? was no clubs in Miami in nine, in the, in the eighties, you had to go to Fort Lauderdale. It, there was so you would just go out and do coke and get drunk. Yeah, and so no, no, no. We would go to like Pete and Lenny's. We'd have to go up in. And there were some bars that were like coke bars, like Mutiny, and we would have faces and stuff like that. That was in the Coconut Grove. You had to be a member and all this kind of stuff. And so I wasn't into that yet. So in 1983, I got in this car accident. My parents said, "Listen, you need to get your shit together." I was seeing this quacky shrink who said I need to go to rehab. And so I went to PBI, which is Palm Beach Institute, which was like the Betty Ford of. Well, how did they determine that you needed to go? Well, this quacky, quacky, very unethical shrink. I would tell him I was doing drugs and he would turn around and tell my parents that I was doing drugs. Violating the violating patient everything. doctor confidentiality. Exactly. This guy was so 
crazy. He said I should be on lithium because he had found out that these monkeys would pull the lever like a billion times, you know, to get more coke. Yeah. But when they fed him lithium, they never pulled the lever. I don't know. It was just like, he was so... <laughs> so that was his solution to your cocaine Yes, problem. yeah, just feed her lithium. I mean, that's crazy. So anyways, I went to PBI. And they sent you, they, he told your parents, we think Ingrid's yeah. got a problem. We think Ingrid's got a problem. We've checked out all these. Palm Beach Institute was like Betty Ford. It was really like, the first night I got to PBI... First of all, they hand me a, a blue book. I didn't know what the blue book was. And I was like, alcoholic? I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink in the morning. And by the way, at that time, I had the makings of one, but How I wasn't How old were one. you? 18. Right. So you're young. I was super young. I hadn't even done- Were you doing coke every day or no? No, not even. It was just more like a behavior. I feel like a lot of people, like a lot of addicts, they tend to stay addicts way longer because they go to rehab too early. Too early. Yeah. I agree. And what do you do in rehab when you don't feel it? You learn about drugs. It's really, it's like, it's like insanity. So when I got there, the first night, the cat picks us up to take us to a meeting and he sparks up a joint. I'm like, this is fantastic, right? So I'm here. I'm, <laughs> You're smoking weed with the cab I'm driver. I'm smoking weed with the cab driver. Yeah. I wasn't a big, I smoked my weed, don't get me wrong, but that wasn't really my drug of choice. I know you loved weed. No, I loved weed. Did, did you remember the weed that used to pop when the seeds yes. would pop? Yes. I mean, my, I smoked it at this table. Yeah. In my, my, if you go back, I had a, a sob and it was like cloth sob. You had to see hole marks because, you know, the seeds would pop and they'd burn. So, so nobody ratted me out. I was thought, well, nobody smoked but me. I didn't know anything. I was just like, oh, this is cool, right? I met a guy when I was in, in rehab. Yeah, re rehab romance. Rehab romance. He left two weeks before I did. Then they send me to Alina Lodge. They thought I needed long term. Wow. Alina Lodge. That was okay. Dodge so, the Lodge. So you go to PBI where you have a, you're getting high and you have a, a romance with someone, and then you go to Alina Lodge and it's fucking a nightmare. Alina, where is Alina Lodge? It's in the Pocono Mountains. Right. So they send you from 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 Florida, Florida. but that's the classic like rehab situation. Yeah. And back then it was like a cult, the cult of of God. Her name was Geraldine O. Delaney, and the women had to wear like these dresses and stockings for for dinner you couldn't see the you, the men and you couldn't smoke menthol cigarettes only regular why cigarettes. i have no that's idea. interesting and i was a menthol smoker do you think that was racist somehow i don't know what it yeah you know so after two years later i went to an to to one of these rehabs that were sent by the state okay so i get out of alina lodge I call my parents and say, I'm not staying here. You got to come pick me up. Or I literally had fantasies of burning the place down. I had Chris, you know, my, my partner yes. uh, who died, went to Alina Lodge. And he had a lot of stories about, like, he made, like, Pruno. Like, like he, he brewed his own alcohol at Alina oh, Lodge. Oh, at Alina Lodge. Yeah, That's and, hilarious. And Mackenzie Phillips went to Alina Lodge. And I think... There's something something went wrong for her at Alina Lodge too. I don't remember. Yeah, what it no, was. my my cousin, my first cousin, he's an addict. He stayed there. His mother made him stay there close to three years, wow. and he's still sober from that day on. Wow, three years. Three at years. Lodge. Yeah, but my aunt was hardcore. She he ain't coming home until that guy. She knew he was. He's now a, a pilot, commercial pilot. Well, it worked. Yeah, it worked. So there you go. Shout out to Alina Lodge. Yeah. So you, so you leave. So when I leave Alina Lodge, I go back to Miami. I had to live in my parents' house. And I was monitored 24-7, right? That was the only way they were going to let me come home. So where's the only place I can go? I know this is terrible, but the only place they allowed me to go alone were NA meetings and AA meetings. And that's where I did coke. I was right. doing bumps in the bathroom. You know what I At mean? At NA. At NA. 
That's wow. why I was doing it. It was horrible now that I think of it, but it was literally the only place that I was allowed to go without supervision. Okay, I'm very interested in this. Go ahead. So I don't think I ever got drugs at NA. I didn't get drugs there. I brought my own. Well, I think that's interesting in itself. Oh, okay. So when you start going to NA, you're like, fuck you. I'm going to do coke at the meeting because I can't do it at home. Just yeah, yeah please. Despite my addict thinking. Okay, so where's the only place I'm going to be out? So I was like... I'd go to the meeting. I go. I wouldn't even sit down. I'd just go straight either through the back. You could get high in the bathroom at home. You could get high you're on the beach. You could get high at a concert. But you're like, Mom, I'm going to Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah, and you're like, they, fuck you. I'm going to do coke in the bathroom. Maybe subconsciously. It's but amazing. I really feel like that was the, like, I really, like, I didn't even have a car. My mother would have to drop me off and pick me up. And so she'd pick me up. I was, how was the meeting? Great. And my mom was, God bless her. And she went through a lot with me. But she was one of those mothers that really needed Families Anonymous and Alcoholics right, Anonymous. Because right. she was so codependent. Right. On on me, like staying. And she thought the more that she was on top of me, the more that she'd be able to control it. And they didn't understand this addiction disease. So during that time, my boyfriend I met at Palm Beach Institute comes to visit me. He had already fallen off the wagon as well. He was into Quaaludes. He was doing like 100 Quaaludes Quaaludes a week. was a great drug. The best drug. That I was did a it great drug. What happened twice. to Quaaludes? They had, I think Does Madonna every, have some in the house someplace? No, Madonna doesn't do drugs, but... I, you know, I'm sure somebody <laughs> of Madonna's caliber probably Public still has can, access. You know what? I don't even think they're out there. Not these. Not like they were back then. The lemons, no. I just... I know what that was, and it's, I did the real deal. It, and It's there, weird because I'm... People say there's Quaaludes around. I don't believe I'm it. I'm a little bit younger than you are a little yeah. bit 10 years and and i i had some window i this is how addled my brain is i right. don't remember the period but i was getting the lemons were you i was getting them you sure no i don't remember how but i i remember having them i remember doing them i can't tell you a story around it but i know that i had some sort of access to if you it. took a lemon this is how you feel you feel like you're drunk and horny yeah well that, that's my whole that, life that's drunk it and, horny. and you have a complete blackout like i had to remember i've only done lemons maybe three times in my lifetime and i had to open the we drank and dr i'm telling you the the drinking laws in my in miami back then it was 18 so it was like everybody was drinking and driving. It was a horrible, horrible. Thank God it all changed. But it sounds like Quaaludes was like the best drug ever, but it had no medicinal purpose besides well, to get drunk and horny. No, no, exactly. I think they were giving it to people for sleeping issues. That was the the reason Quaaludes came out in the first place. It was like a I pre think. pre Valium or maybe post. No, because Valium, it was during that Valium. Like that's what my sedative. mom was into Valium and Librium and all that shit. I used to steal it from her to come down off the coke. So. He was taking a hundred quaaludes a week. It's a lot of quaaludes. It's a lot of quaaludes. The guy literally—he shook when he came to rehab. He was—he shook for like six weeks. He was coming off of it. Coming off of horrible. it. It was really bad, horrible. So when he comes to visit me, he said he hadn't done it. I said, "Listen, I'm—I'm I'm getting high. Do you want to try coke?" He was like, "Sure." That was it. And he fell in love with you and the Coke. Fell in love with me, the Coke, you name it, everything. We were. He was staying at the Holiday Inn. I was going back to the University of Miami that fall. He was going back to Lewis. He was from North Carolina, Lewisburg College. And that fall was literally the beginning of like the worst run I had in 10 years. So tell us about so that So that run was, so I get to the University of Miami and I start. You had done rehab. I'd already done rehab. I, you know, and in your head, do you remember like, okay, they wanted me to 
get better. They wanted me to find recovery, and I went to rehab twice. You well, know, yeah, it was one long one, I right, would say. Right, and, and I'm doing fucking coke and narcotics. and Yeah, all because this. I never believed I was an addict. So that's, do you remember, like, that mindset? Yes, but later on in life, you had that mindset of you know you're an addict and you do a line. You're a loser, right? Because you know you're not. But back then, I didn't think I was one, right? Yet. So I know the mindset, yes. So I was doing, I took a drug class at the University of Miami. They, they gave this drug about illicit drugs. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll definitely meet somebody here that's like. That's so funny. That, so it was the you most. You get high at NA and you go to the totally drug class to find drug, somebody to, to do drugs. To find a dealer, right? Great. And so dealers in the University of Miami in 1983 were like, I don't know, like, I guess fake IDs. You know, it was everybody, that was their side hustle because every, and when I mean every single solitary dorm room was either dealing weed or dealing coke. That was it. And the markup is insane. You can make a lot of money selling drugs in college. It's, oh, a, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And so it was fueled by, by coke, 100%. So I met the guy. His name was Andy. So we were talking afterwards. You get high? Yeah, you get high. Smoked a little weed. And then from there, it led to the coke. Anyways, next thing is he introduces me to his dealer, and that was it. It was two guys. One of the dorms, and I was living there morning, noon, and night. I had to have a job, though, right? So I had to have a job after school. That was the only way my parents were. They thought if I filled my... If you were responsibly working or whatever. Exactly. So I was doing a lot of drugs. I mean, I'm talking, I weighed 90 pounds. You're just snorting coke all day. All the time. I hadn't gotten into the free base yet, but yes, remember I, so I started snorting a lot of blow, drinking a lot. It was just a constant. I was getting great grades because I used it like, I guess Adderall, I guess you people do it now, but I was studying. I figured if I got straight A's, they wouldn't understand that I had this huge coke habit going on. Because so, you were working and you were getting good grades. Exactly. But did they see you being like fucking emaciated and crazy? Yes. And the thing is that my mom was coming in at night to see if I was asleep. So she would come into my room. She knew if I was awake at four in the morning, that means I'm I'm using. high. I'm using because, okay, so I would steal all her Dalmain, any Restoril, you name it, all those pills to come down, all the downers. And drink, you know, a fifth. Just knock out and do it all over again. So cut to in January, there was this big explosion in my house and my parents learned that I was using it. Wait, what kind of explosion? What happened was my father had gotten me a job at- You're like, there's an explosion in my house and you're not going to say what it was? <laughs> well, no, an explosion in the sense that my father oh, had gotten got me- like, okay. like his shit at the fan. I was, I was working at this very, very famous Cuban restaurant. His business partner owned it and I was working as his receptionist. I was high from the night before and I come into work fucking, you know how it is when you don't sleep, right? You're like paranoid. Wired and horrible. Terrible. Wired, horrible. There's no alcohol to take the edge off. So I take a bit, you know, I'm doing bumps in the bathroom. This guy weighs like 300 pounds. He asked me to come into his office and I had just done a bump. He's got a black suit on and a rock shoots into his lapel. From your nose. From my nose. Yeah. And he knows exactly what the fuck that is, right? So I... Cuban restaurant culture. Cuban re- yes, of course. And so he knew exactly... I mean, it shot and landed right here. His lapel's like you Classic. Know, four feet wide. Coke booger flying yeah, through the flying air. Yeah, flying through the air. My parents know exactly what happened. I run out of... I ran away from home at this point. 
And I said to my, I'm not going to live at home. I can't live with mom. I, the problem was them. The problem was them, right? That, that I, I don't have any. Your parents. My parents, you're on top of me. I don't have my life. I need to go and live a normal, you know. Independent uh, life. College life. I right. think I need to be, I'm going to get a dorm. My father said, I think that's a great idea. My God. Well, so, he's just like, I need you yeah, out of here. Yeah. And so, and, and he was like so nervous that if I continued to live at home, he knew how my mother was, you know, God bless her. She was just so psychotic. So just on top of me no, all the I time. And so up he was ass, like, yeah. maybe if she was like living on her own, she would just like grow up or something, which was such a, he didn't know how sick I was at the time. So what happened was. I get to UM and the first night I meet some guy that lived next to me in the dorm and he happened to have been a drug dealer, another drug dealer comes into my, I said, Hey, you, you can't like walk five feet no, without no, running no. into a drug so dealer. So he says to me, so he, he thought I was cute and I thought he was cute. And I was, I really didn't care about how cute he was. I more cared about the drugs I know he had. So I said, why don't you come? We'll, we'll do some blows. So he says to me, look, I've been getting ripped off by my roommate. Do you mind if I lock up this? He had an ounce of blow. Do you uh -oh. mind if I lock it up in your room? I said, no problem. You can lock it up here. I had one. I had, for some reason, I had one of those keys in the drawers with a key. So the guy, we start partying. He goes, I'm going to leave it here. I'll come and get it tomorrow. I said, okay, I'll see you in the morning, blah, blah, blah. That was it. And so, you did all this coke. Oh, and I called 40 friends, and I it was... Close to an ounce and a half of blow. So I fucking got so paranoid. He didn't, I didn't answer the door the next day. I was in the, because I was. You were paranoid. doing the coke. Of course. My cousin, the one that ended up at Alina Lodge. And then I called Bill and I said, Bill, I'm in a lot of problems here. Like, you got to come get me. Bill was the guy from PBI. I didn't know this, but he had been thrown out for stealing drugs at Lewisburg College. So the, hold on. The fucking coke dealer who probably wants you to be his cocaine girlfriend yeah. gives you an ounce and a half and, and says, I need you to keep this safe for me. Because my roommate has been stealing from me. Why? I mean, it's what just very stupid move. And then you're like, <laughs> totally. then you're like, okay, I'll hold on I'll to hold that on coke to for it. you. And, and you call up your old boyfriend who yes. you met in rehab to do it. Yes. Okay. And, and then, he was living in Tampa at the time because I, I feel bad for the coke dealer. Totally. So at the time, but you know, hey, whatever. whatever. It was I my mean, first reaction. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. So at the time, he was in Tampa, which I didn't know. I thought I was going to have to wait for him. So he was like, I'm in Tampa. I'm in a lot of trouble. Quaalude Bill. Quaalude Bill is now Freebase Bill. Uh-oh. So from that line of coke I turned, now he's become Freebase, and he owes all of North Carolina money. So I said, why don't you come and get me? Uh-huh. And he said, look, I'm not going to come all the way down to Miami. Let's meet halfway. So I said, okay. So I had enough cash to get a taxi to West Palm Beach Airport at like four in the morning. And you it, took the guy's coke? All of it. Yes. So I took the guy's coke. <laughs> yeah. So I met Bill. You were like, you were like, I have to tell this story on Dopey. This is like the perfect venue for no, this story. No, it's a perfect story. So right. I took all the guys and I said, Bill, you got to meet me at West Palm Beach Airport. I'm at West Palm Beach Airport in a cab with the Coke stuffed in my sock <laughs> and waiting for Bill. He had a green Mustang, Ford green Mustang. Never forget it. Like from the 70s. Nice. One of those vintage ones. Yeah. And your he, life is a movie, by the way. Yeah. And this is before you this meet Madonna and Sandy Bernhardt yeah, and Open so, Clubs so and stuff. He, all right. Picks me up. He said, I got an idea. Let's go get more. You have this drug. Let's get more drugs and we'll sell it in North Carolina. Because you're talking about the price of drugs in Miami versus what it costs in North Carolina. And it's like that pure Coke. Pure Coke. And we could cut it. Right? So 
That's You're like, that sounds like a good idea. Free so base I pill. went, I went to the bank of America. I got all the money I had made from working at my dad's friend's thing. Oh my I think God. there was maybe like a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars back then was like a lot of money. Not a lot of money, but enough to get us some Coke. So of course that's what I wanted. Uh huh. So as I'm going, and to, you have a ton of Coke in your pocket, I have a ton of Coke in the pocket, but we needed more if we're going to make this like a career. Right. So that was it. So we went, I picked it up. It was like, and you leave school. You're like, I'm oh, leaving school. I left school. I left the guy high and dry and I left and my parents had no idea where I was for two Did months. you ever talk to the guy again? Never. So do you think he's listening to Dopey right now? Do you want to, do you want to apologize to him? What was his I name? I do apologize. I don't even remember his name. I, I forgot his name actually. And it's so funny because my sister said, do you remember that guy you ripped off? You know, that he came to me like a year later and said, your sister is such a hustler. Wow. And How much do you think an ounce and a half of Coke was worth? Back then? Yeah. Whew, I don't even know. I have no idea. I want to say... I never had an ounce of Coke. $3,000 maybe? I don't and know. And he's a kid. He's a kid. In, high, in college, this is freshman year. He, he was, was just hoping he was going to be able to have sex with you and, and, and totally. be with you and whatever. 100%. He's like, here, hold my Coke and I'll fuck you yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then exactly. you're like, was all it. right, call Bill was, and you're out. I'm out. I'm Amazing. like, see ya. Yes. So then. Amazing. Cut to, I go, we come back down to Miami from West Palm Beach. Then we go to my, not him, the dealer, another dealer I had, which was like this Marielito back then. You know, that was this guy down in South Miami. He was my, my dealer. Who's the Marielito? The Marielito is this guy. His name was... Little Mariel? What is Mariel? Okay, so the Maria Bolif came in 1980. Remember when Castro let two million yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. of the guys okay. that were in jail right. and they opened up his borders and he just, in a flotilla came in? So this guy came in this flotilla and he his job in America was being a drug dealer. His name was Polaco. Okay. He's probably dead or in jail by now. So... I hadn't been to the Marielito in a in a year because I was only buying my drugs on campus. So this sad, you know, it was he a sad white kid that gave you the ounce and a half? Yeah, he okay. was like a, a wannabe. You know, he's gonna probably be, end up being a lawyer. He's right. from Pennsylvania. So you 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 break I off from him. him. You get Bill, North Carolina free base Quaalude Bill. Quaalude Bill. And you're like, I know this dude, Mariolito. We'll go over there. We'll get some more coke. I got yes. a grand. And like, are you fucking freebasing at the time? Okay, so this is what happens. We already had an ounce, get as much as I can. And I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to become drug runners, right? And we're going to go to North Carolina and we're going to sell the drugs. We'll cut it, we'll sell it, and then we'll get enough money, come back down, and then this way... We be proper drug dealers. Be proper drug dealers. The only problem that both of us spent... Is your total drug, drug rehab. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So he starts saying, listen, I really like freebasing and especially this coke right because the coke in fucking north carolina sucks there was no crack right so went, back then you had to do the whole process with the ether and everything. yeah with the baking soda and the blow dryer and the microwave yeah the whole night so you would make free so he taught you how to make freebase exactly so when we were driving from miami up back to North Carolina. In the, that's what we were doing, smoking all the way up there. This smoking Coke. Smoking Coke, which, by the way, I hated smoking Coke because what I liked about drugs, what I liked about it was the fact that it made me do life better. Like, in other words, when I would do Coke, I thought I was, like, invincible. Except well, you're getting straight A's. Yeah, you're yeah. The second and third day, you want to kill yourself, but, you know, when you're up. But honestly, like, that, the base, when you're doing base, that's all you do. You don't leave your house. You, you know, you're... The bells ring in your ears. The old bell ringer. The old bell ringer. Once that happens, that's it. You're a slave. You can't go out to a club. You can't be social with it. That was like. So what year was that? 1983. 
Wow. That was 1983. So this is what we do. So we come up there. We Now it's dwindling. The, the coke is dwindling. We I said, we got to pull over. There's no way we're going to make it all the way up there. First of all, I can't believe we didn't get arrested. We never got pulled over. We never anything. So let's say we dropped off in Orlando. We smoked ourselves straight. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. I, I can't explain it, but it was. You didn't stop. You didn't come didn't down. Stop. You weren't taking quaaludes. No visceral. Nothing. Just passed right. out. Got up and then go to Lewisburg. And now I find out that fucking this guy owes money to everybody. We had a gun drawn on us. I was like, fuck. He should never have gone back Gone there. back up. Should have gone so, somewhere else. So we had a gun. Literally, a guy comes down with a gun. Where's my fucking money? And I was like, holy shit. He was like, Ingrid, we got to get out of here. So we had to give this guy that he owed money to one of the ounce. We had to give him all of it. Horrible. All of it. Because I just get out of that situation, right? So we just had some left. We So we he's like, I got these friends at Raleigh, Durham. Let's go there. Now, my parents have no idea where I am. Do they know you're out of school? Well, I, I left a message on the answering machine at the time to say my car's there and I'm afraid that someone's going to take it from me. Like steal. I thought the drug dealer was going to steal my car. So like you're all coked out and you're like, yeah, paranoid. And I'm thinking he's going to, that's going to be his, like, you know, he's going to steal my car, his revenge or his, yeah, he's going to sell my car. So my dad had somebody from the, from his warehouse go and pull it out. But my parents have no idea where I am and weeks go by. And so this is what happens. So we start collecting money and go back and forth from Miami. So you actually do some kind of business. You don't do all the Coke. You sell some. We sell so little, enough to just us to be able to go back and so get another are. batch. Yeah. To come back up and have a little money in our pocket. But that was the literally thing. it. So we're living in White Lake, North Carolina, which the population is 300. When I got there, it was 301. Yes. So You're probably the only Cuban in White Lake. Oh, no. I was the only. They would leave to go raise money, him and another buddy of his, and leave me there for a week. And I was like, no drugs. I was just drinking like whiskey and and like you know drunk dialing that's horrible that's how you get busted who are you drunk dialing unfortunately i was drunk dialing all my friends in miami and they were calling my friend at least we know she's alive right right but my they didn't know where i was was it a miserable experience in white lake oh yes it was miserable i was there like 10 days very little food it was horrible i i think maybe it was three days it seemed like 10 days so it comes back. We keep doing this whole runs back and forth, back and forth. Finally, we're up for four days, right? And he's emaciated and I'm emaciated and we're going between smoking and snorting, drinking and... Drinking yourself down. Yeah. Always, the, the alcohol was always... A tool for the, to come off To come the off of it. Yes. So anyways, so the, so I said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to go get help. I, we're going to die. And so I called my dad. And I said, listen, I'm coming home. He says, you're coming home. You're going to rehab. I said, yeah, I'm ready. I was six months on the run. So believe me. Bad. Bad. And they had no idea if I was alive, dead. They didn't know I was going to. And you knew like the jig was up. I knew the jig was up. And you had done rehab. So you were like, fuck, I actually need it this time. Exactly. So I said to to Bill, you need to get help. I need to get help. I'm going to take your car. I'm driving to the Raleigh-Durham airport. Can't have, they didn't have direct flights back then to Miami. So I had to go through Atlanta. My father said, I'll meet you in Atlanta on your connection and we'll fly back together. I said, okay, so I'm going, I get pulled over of all the times that I've had multiple drugs, multiple everything. I get pulled over. I didn't have my ID on me. 
And the dry, the guy, I was literally crying, said, I'm going to be late. He just gave me a speeding ticket and said, go ahead. And I parked his car. I got on that plane. I met my dad. My dad must have been in shock when he saw me. He said he was going to. You're like fucking a rail. You know. Rail. I mean rail. I, I must have weighed 80 pounds at this point. It was horrible. He says, we're going to rehab. And you're like 20? Not even, 19. Right. And so he puts me, we go into South Miami Hospital. So we get to South Miami Hospital. I sleep. Okay, it's Sunday. Remember, I haven't slept literally in six months. If I slept four times in six months, it was too many. And I sleep from Sunday till Wednesday. Wednesday was the day that your parents come and visit you, right? Your first time. You went back to Palm Beach Institute. No, no. I went to South Miami Hospital, which is right next door to you. So I go there. They had this great program down there. And so the night that my parents are coming to this lady, this nurse, like I realized what I had done and I was like, holy shit. She comes in and says, just so you know, you know, you're going to Lena Lodge. And I was like, wait, what? I said, fuck this shit. So I go downstairs with my thing and I walk oh God. down the metro rail to my dealers at the University of Miami. It was probably like a mile. Right. Not the guy I owed money to. No. My, my other dealers. That, and he was like, I didn't realize that I still had the hospital band on. And he goes, why do you have a hospital band on? And I said, oh, I went there to take lab tests. Wow. So you lie to the dealer. Of course. You, you don't want the dealer to know what a no, bad drug addict you are. A hundred percent. He was like, so we sat there. I did drugs the whole night. And finally. Did you have money? I had a little bit of money. Did I have money? I don't think, I don't, I think he gave, I want to say he. Like, it was the case of being a young, beautiful girl with, exactly. with drug dealers. Yeah. And, and, and. Cause that never sex happened Sex wasn't me. involved. It was just like, he was a drug dealer. We were they, yeah. friends. He had a girlfriend. Sure. And she was doing drugs as well. But yes, but that was, yeah, that was it. So we did drugs the whole night and at six in the morning, I go downstairs. I used the, the pay phone, call my dad. He says, mm. where are you? I said, I'm at the pay phone at the, come pick me up. And he says, all right, but you're going straight back. You know that, right? I said, yep. So I go back to you. I go oh back to South God. Miami. Now this woman, Dr. Morgan, she was such a bitch. <laughs> she was like, you know what? I'm not doing this to fucking, you're staying, you're going to stay here and you're going to, in a week you're leaving and you're going to go straight to Alina Lodge. So I hooked up with another guy. At this rehab. It's amazing how romantic it is to be in, in, in locked up. I don't you know, know what I was thinking. It's very romantic. Yeah, totally. You got nothing else to do. It gets no, you I, high. I was, I, you get distracted. It's not like I was hooked up. We were just flirty, but there was no fraternization, and she was just nervous. That no, this... but it's a phenomenon. Totally. It's like you 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 get all of the things you like taken away, and then your brain fixates on something else that keeps you out of your brain, and it's so exciting, and it's totally. so intense and And the, the guy gets you because you've been in the same. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't judge you. Yeah. You know, in Miami, at that time like i said it was very i was once at at a detox and there was this woman a girl you know at the detox and like i like fell in love with her she's writing me notes in crayon i'm like i like i thought it was like the most intense love affair of my life yeah 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 exactly i'm with you i get that you you, and you're like you know coming off and yeah it's and it's like hope hope yeah something can be okay exactly so okay back to your rehab rehab second one so he kicks me so she kicks me out because you, you were hooked up with the dude. The dude, and she didn't want to kick him out. She knew more about my... She, I had already ran away from, from rehab the first time. She's like, I'm not doing that to, to Alina Lodge. I'm not sending you there. You know what? You need to go find a rehab that... My parents were like, you're not coming back home. I went and stayed with my grandmother. Oh, my God. 
and then abuelita abuelita and then finally i stole all her pills your grandma's her, pills yeah she she was on which i didn't you were a fucking hurricane Dermor, hurricane she, she was Ingrid. on all the, all the two and alls you know two and all second all second all all the alls you yes. know all those they were like and i wasn't even into pills i wasn't even into pills at the time barbiturates are they even around anymore i don't know. i don't think so no, I think they they banned them after people were drinking and getting and dying, dying from yes, them. Yes. So, but your grandma Abuelita had she had uh, like I, all these good yeah, weird that, downers. The only reason I knew about them was because I had gone to rehab and learned about them, and, and then you because go I the took ca- that and I took that the course. drug class that taught you about all the all drugs. <laughs> so, so yeah, so steal her car, I get grandma's into, grandma's car, get into an accident, I end up. Back at South Miami Hospital, but not in the rehab center. I literally got in an accident. Did you get hurt? Very little, but the the, the guy that the I think he felt bad for me. The cop. I mean, like I said, being a pretty girl always has. It's really amazing. It must have been amazing. I, Wish I had had that experience. <laughs> but continue. So he was like, you know, I was. He puts me up there, and I I, t- I speak to this counselor. And she says, you need to go check out Concept House in Miami, Florida. So Concept House House is like the village. Was based on. Do you remember what's the name of the old tree? Date Daytop. Daytop. Okay. My so, wife worked at Daytop in yeah. Long Island. So it was based off the, you know, behavior modification. It was exactly like Daytop. It was like a therapeutic community kind of thing. It was a therapeutic community, but it was what happened was during that time the the jails were so filled up, right? So if you were a nonviolent offender with a drug, usually, I mean, back then it was freebase. It wasn't crack yet. Not in Miami, anyway. It was that whole cocaine thing. It was everybody's a, yeah. getting arrested with drugs. With drugs, they were overcrowded. So if you were not, they were sending like people, a diversion program, right? They were sending them to there, and that's where they said for me to go, and I went. My parents were like, "This is in Little Haiti, back in 1980s." I'm sure they're like, "Thank God." Okay, so was that like a clean the toilet with the toothbrush yes, kind of place? That's exactly accountability. Okay. Yes, wake up accountability, right? So my parents dropped me off and left to Europe. They were like. Finally, she's somewhere. I think they were probably. They're like, we, they can take a breath. They could take a breath and they could go and like go. Live their life time, without their worrying life about without what the worrying fuck about you're doing. Where I am and if I'm going to, you know, they were just nervous that I was going to fucking bolt. Or die. Or die. Turn up dead in jail, whatever. Exactly. So, so how was uh, so, that place? So that place, it took a little bit of of adjusting. But I tell you what, if I look back on people, places and things that changed my life. For the better, Concept House at that time, I didn't stay sober for, you know, I did stay sober, but, but it changed my life. I was, I was such a spoiled, entitled, like my shit don't stink type of girl, even though I was very, I was streetwise and all that, but it was still that. You were so entitled because you got everything you wanted. I mean, fucking all these people are giving you Coke wherever you go. I never, ever, ever had to like work. Even though my father gave me a, I had to, I always worked, right? But I mean, a part-time job, get good grades, that kind of stuff. And, but when I got there, I like Newports. That's where I learned how to smoke Newports. Played spades every night. It was like, these, looking this, back on it, sounds great, right? Yeah, it was I wish so we could fun. play in Newport. You yeah, know, smoke yeah, Newport that and was play all, the only now. thing you had to worry about. But they wake you up, they break you down, they keep you up for like twenty four hours, and so people rat on each other, right? So, 
you know, they, they would keep you up like till 24 hours at a time. And so it's to find out who's using, who's having sex. And then people would raise their hand. It goes, oh, I, somebody was like doing They break hooch. down, right. Yeah, yeah. In the backyard. I'm like, why would they do hooch in the backyard? It's like, we're across the street from a 7-Eleven. never made sense to me, but. So, they probably didn't have money. It was yes. romantic to make your own hooch. Yeah, yeah. These are people from jail. That's yeah. all they know. It's, it's, it's like something to do. It. It's something yeah. to do. It's something to do. So when you so got there. So I stayed there, there for a year. Did you like, and you got a year clean? I got a year clean. I, I started. Did you start thinking about it differently? Did your life, did your. Did, it was very hard in the beginning. How old are you? Now I'm 19. I turned my 20th birthday there. And I, in the beginning, I the, I could not stop the thinking. I could not stop. I, I, I still wanted to use really bad, even though I had been through this awful, like horrible, like physically, emotionally. You weren't done. It was still I, I, new. It was still like kind of new, yeah, in the sense that I thought I'd done everything, but I really had more run in me, to say the least. And so it took a long time. To, I needed to physically be there just so those that, that, that obsessive thoughts would go away. Because it, it, believe me, the first three months were hard. People, hard. And so they let me go back to school. So I would go to school during the day and then I'd come back at night. And it was sort of like a halfway house after a year. I stayed there for a year in these really horrible conditions. My sisters were like, oh my God, I, like bunk. It was, you got like toughened up there. Oh yeah. And more streetwise. And you, and you, could, and you could actually take care of yourself in a different way. You understood life a little bit better exactly. when you got out of there. Exactly. And I felt like, I don't know, I, I, I felt more well-rounded. And I think that that's my, when I finally became a successful human being and, you know. That was a big part of it. It was a big, huge part of it. So Agreed. when so when you get out of there. Okay, so I got out of there and I met a boyfriend, Evo, in the NA meetings. We were together. He became a, a very big, important person in my life. We were together for five years. And he was sober. I was sober. And he was parking cars. South Beach, there was a few places in South Beach, like the Eden Rock Hotel. I ha I parked cars as well when I, and I, I was really into, the music I liked to listen to back then was, I wasn't into pop, I was into Flock of Seagull. Like new wave stuff. New wave stuff. Duran Duran. Adam Ant. Duran Duran. Ray, yeah, Big Audio Dynamite. Oh yeah. The, the, you know, all that. I love that Violent stuff. Violent Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. That was like, I was obsessed with it. I had that. I didn't have a mohawk. I had, you know, like. You, know, you had the asymmetrical flock, car. Flock of Seagull ah. type of thing. Like over the bangs yeah, over yeah. the side. Yeah, yeah, and then all shaved in the back. He was like, what did you do to yourself? But that what, was- just, What a time to be alive. Loved it. I'm still obsessed with that music. It's the only music I listen to still to this day. I was always a music junkie growing up. And so that was a big, and when MTV came out, I was like, that also changed my life in the sense that, you know, remember like at two in the morning, I was like, you're, very, you're not a cokehead, but I was. So you needed something to like stay up all night with you. And MTV is up. And MTV is up, and now I can on a loop. Don't you, know? you think it's weird that like MTV was this it's incredible amazing. cultural phenomenon that did all these amazing things, and it was so fun for so long. So fun. And then it got way too big, and then it, it kind of ate itself. And yeah. like, I'm just surprised now they don't just try to go back to basics with it. Like, why not? I think because of the internet. I think because people are not going to tune into MTV and listen to videos. Because the commercials just, will come on. The commercials will come on. They, but they I think they could. Access. I think they could succeed with I, trying to do throwback programs. I think that would be fantastic. At least do like '80s, like for an hour. You know what I mean? Like doing the originals. Like I think Pat you can Benatar even you can bring them in and and have fun. Like talk Agreed. about the video and like because nostalgia yes. rules for nostalgia people like rules us. Rules like us. For a minute, when MTV started going way into the reality world. 
VH1 then sort of took over that. Well, that was an exciting moment where it could, I worked at MTV then. Oh, did you? And like, I worked there in like the early nineties and it was like the first year of the real world. Who were the DJs back then? I don't, I, 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 Kurt Loder put me on MTV. Like he was like a stoner. Yeah. Like we would go to the building, me and my friend and, and he would be like smoking weed, listening to the harder they come in his office all day. Every time we walk past there, he's listening to fucking the harder they come soundtrack smoking weed. And we'd be like, we should be on MTV. And he told somebody that we should be on MTV. (laughs) And it was like, it was weird, but VH1 was doing all the throwback stuff, like all the Billy Idol stuff and like weird. And that's when behind the music came out. I love, I lived for behind the music. Oh my God. I, but hold on. When did you, when, you, you just, you get out of that place. Okay. So, so, so I get out of that place and meet Evo. Cause and now uh, Ingrid uh, Casares behind the music right here. Exactly. So 85, stay sober, 85. So he starts stealing Coke from the, he was parking cars at Joe Stone Crab, which is this really famous. It was the only place on South Beach at the time. Remember South Beach, there's nothing. So he's stealing from their Jaguars. Okay. So Coke in the, it was like having your radio in there. Every, he would just go through there. Start stealing the code. But he was sober. Yes. And I didn't know he had relapsed. So this is how the, how did the relapse happen? So the relapse said, listen, I, I, I told him, I said, it's New Year's Eve. Now you're going 85, 86, right? So he's like, I said, I really want to do, let's do it. He goes, oh, I've been, I've, I've already been done it. it. Yeah. Right. And so we, that, that night he got us some Coke and we, I started back on that. Now that this one lasted a minute and, it, but it wasn't. It wasn't like the one before because now I really have like you remember you said you never you're never you don't get high the same, no. right? You never get high the same. Once you're introduced hardcore recovery. Recovery. You know you're doing wrong. Yeah. You know what the fuck is up. I'm sorry. Anybody who says differently is a liar. Right. Right? Or they're just they can their denial is super, super strong. Super strong and they can yeah. departmentalize shit. I was always in the under the impression, like, you know how they say one of those people that are constitutionally incapable of being honest with sure. oneself. You know, that that always ran through me. Like, why like, I always thought they said it like to fuck with you. Like, cause you're like, wait a second. I everybody who yeah, hears yeah, that yeah, the yeah. first time is like, that's me. I'm <laughs> that's constitutionally me. incapable of being honest. Incapable, yeah, totally. It's horrible. So then I go out, you know, I start Little by little, now I'm 21, 2021, so I'm going to clubs. So this isn't now the Ingrid that's smoking freebase. Even though, even though Evo was a big smoker, he liked to to freebase, which I hated. The next day, I <gasps> couldn't even breathe. But plus, I'm smoking cools now along with the freebase. So it's a lot just, of smoking. A lot of smoking. I and I had gotten into to working out. I'd gotten into working out at that time that I was sober. And so giving you endorphins, you had been an athlete. I'd been an athlete. I found running, working out, did, you know, all of that. I became very, so here comes a cycle of, so a cycle of getting sober, working out, then fall off the wagon and do drugs. And now I was able to sort of mix them together, doing drugs and working out. And I'll tell you how that worked out. Not well. Okay, so my boyfriend and I were together, and it was on and off. I'm going to clubs. I'm more like a weekend warrior type of thing. You'd I, go to like weird alternative clubs and I'll dance. T- I, yeah, fire and ice. I loved it. Thursday nights, twenty five cent drinks. Can you imagine what kind of liquor them? Now that I know so much about the club, they must have been fucking disgusting. Yeah, piss water. But now instead of being home and sort of that you seem, I'm more in the nightlife scene, going to clubs, doing bumps with my friends, and 
drinking and staying up all night. Kind of proper classic fun. coke use and so, not yeah. crazy degenerate freebasing. Exactly. Yes. So now it's the way I had fantasized it. You know, the way I had fantasized it was that the early part of the 80s brought me into that dark dungeon. But now in the late 80s, it was more of that fantasy living. Right. Right. We had money, you know. Nightlife. Nightlife. And that's how I sort of progressed into that. I go to school at the University of Maryland. I get there. I had the only reason I decided to go to school in Maryland is because I broke up with my boyfriend. I was so obsessed with him that I couldn't live in the same city as him. Evo. Evo. I had introduced him to my old dealer. Was that his real name? Yeah, that's his real. Evo and Ingrid were both eyes. He He was um, a Cuban guy? Cuban guy. He now, you know what he does? He's an amazing, he owns Mendocino Farms in, in, in Northern California. He sells weed. He grows it. He sell, He grows it. He's been. He's one of the pioneers. Shout out of it. to Evo. Shout out to Evo Mendocino Farms for the. I'm best sure they're listening herb. to Dopey all day there. Probably. I'm going to tell them to. But he he was one of the pioneers. He got there in 1999, before it was legal, and started building that little empire of. Him. And you loved him. Oh, I loved him. And, and you had to leave that. the state. You had I to literally. Leave the state. I was so upset. I literally had to leave the state because I would get obsessed with him. Park in front of his car of his apartment type of thing, and see he was coming in and out. But I had introduced them to my friends, and I said, you should just become a drug dealer. I mean, I'm such a bad girlfriend. But anyways, so... What, you said that to who? To Evo. Right. So... Well, you had dated dated a lot of drug dealers. You saw the money and 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 the drugs. Exactly. And he wanted to do other things, like be a model. And he became an actor later. He was in Bloodline. He did a lot of great stuff. He was in Bloodline? Yeah. When was he in Bloodline? He was in the third season. He was he plays Enrico Murciano's brother. He was a cop. Okay. Um, that show was decent. Yeah, it was decent. The third the Key third West. season. Was yeah. eh. First season Sorry, was really good. Amazing. Happening show. Love anyway, that show. Keep going. So um, you leave Evo. I leave Evo. He to leaves go. you. Yeah, he and then leaves you're like, he I definitely gotta... leaves me. Yeah. And I go to University of Maryland. I'm starting to party a little bit more he's seeing me out at night he knows when i'm out at night at three in the morning if he sees me he knows i'm on coke he didn't like it you know we still had that connection he just couldn't be with me he thought i like coke more than him which i did at that time i guess and he didn't want to be with me and so i left and then once i got to maryland i became a full-on again cokehead cokehead drug addict drug addict drug dealer and we were my friends that were from Miami decided that they were going all drug addicts. They drove their car up to go to Boston to sell at Boston College, Boston University. Why don't you come to Maryland on your way up? You stay at my apartment and I'll hook you up with some people, right? Didn't know anybody, but I knew some. And you knew drugs would get to you if you had course, them come. Of course, 100%. And I, I didn't have the connection yet at, in, in Maryland, right? This is before even class started. It was my first semester there. And so I had these guys. I asked them to stay for a day. They stayed for a week. I almost literally died. Okay, literally. So I get my friend Stuart. He lives in Georgetown. I, he had roommates. I said, let's sell some dope up there, Coke. And so, and Stuart, I said, come back with me, come to Maryland, stay here, and we'll just party down there. So I've been up two nights, we're going on our third night. Now I'm, I'm, I'm coming this close to like really freaking out. I thought that cops were about to start going to either raid or I thought my 90-year-old aunt, this is how paranoid I am, that my mother sent. I was more afraid of my mother than I was anybody else. Wow. She, she was going to come and drop large. in. Drop in and see and tell my mother this is what I'm up to. Did she live in Maryland, your aunt? She did. Okay. okay. 
So I, it wasn't that far-fetched. So I take, remember Somonix? Sleep Aid. Sleep Aid, right? Yes. So I take a handful of Somonix. If you take Somonix, you need to go to sleep, right? You can't continue. Because you're all cold. fucked up and groggy. And okay, crazy. so there's a mirror, right? And you're, you, you put two lines down. I see four lines. So I'm like, you know, I see four. I'm doing the, I'm not, I'm starting the wrong line, right? Because I, I, I see four. There's nothing. <laughs> and I start twitching like really bad. And now, now I'm twitching uncontrollably and my heart's racing and I'm twitching and I'm hitting like twitching and twitching. And it was really bad. And then they said, I'm gonna call 911. I think you're, you're, you have an OD. And I was like, do not call 911. Do not call 911. Finally, I, I'm literally twitching and shaking and, and, and cold, really, really cold. And I just passed out. Thank God. Okay. So I pass out. They're still there. So I said to, I said, I got to get out of here. I don't know how to get them out of my apartment. The dealers. The dealers, right? Because now they're, they're it's loving too much life. It's too much access. Too much access. They have all this It's drugs. not stopping. It's and you know you're fucked. And I'm fucked, yeah. right? So I said, Stuart, let's, you and I, I remember listening to these commercials late at night at the Milford Plaza Hotel. Sure, was, I remember the, the song. The Lullaby of Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that? It's the Milford was, Plaza. Yes. Yeah, sure. I said, that's where we're going, that's right? That's so funny. So, and in the center yeah. of it all is the yes, Milford I Plaza. Yes, I said, we're going yeah. there to go to sleep. We're going to go there. That's so funny. So yeah. we go to Reagan Airport. I still have drugs on me. Yeah. And I get, we get on the plane. Yes. And I'm convinced that there's cops on the plane. And they're going to take you off. And I said, we're not going by plane. We're not going by plane. We're going to drive there. So you got off the plane? I got off the plane. This is 1987. Believe me, back then you can come in and out of the plane right. 400 it's times no if you deal. want. They allowed you to smoke on the plane. Yeah. So we get off the plane and we drive. And I said, we got to hit the Milford Plaza. Sure enough, when we get there, I really thought it was, it was the size of from, I never knew a New York hotel, hotel right. before. Right. right. Now I'm used to them, but it was from here to there. At that point, I didn't give a shit. I had to sleep it off. So we finally fell asleep. Wow. So you're fucking in this coke run. You see a commercial for the lullaby of Broadway, and you're like, that's, that's where I can get some rest. Yeah, that's where I can get some rest. That's exactly so what it was. And we drove my sob up there. And on the way back, we hit a friend in Princeton. Go visit her. Come back. The guys had left. And I said, okay, that's it. This is my new slate. And... Hence, I begin with a, a communications degree at the University of Maryland. I met drug de I met a lot of people, a lot of friends, a lot of normal friends. And then, so of course, when you're in addiction, you're going to snoop out whoever else is in addiction, right? Sure. Like, I, because you want to meet people that are like you. I it, mean, it's natural to do that with anything. So I, my thing was, with this one class, I like to, it's a speech class. So I smoke a joint before going to the class. And this guy, I knew he knew I was stoned comes up to me his name is larry who i love and we ended up becoming fast friends and we sort of had like a study group going on and it just it revolved around getting high and studying and so i hooked up with a friend of mine from miami and he was getting drugs sent to him by fedex like 10 12 ounces at a time of coke coke yeah so one time the fedex fucking ripped him off and just delivered him Without uh, coke in it. Without coke in it. So he got freaked out and he owed whoever he owed money to because they would front him, a, front him the coke and then he would pay it, right? So he said, I, I need you to come to Tampa and help me bring back some of the coke. You put it on. I, so I, 
believe me, they're not checking me. I was 20 years old at the time. I was at college. I had it stuffed in my, I put it in my boot and he would put it in his boot and we brought it up. And I, for two years, I was just, but I was functional to the sense that I even You graduated. were like a drug mule. I was a drug mule. I was a drug addict. I was drug drinking dealer. a lot. It was the first time I'd done mushrooms. Not my thing. Was there, I had friends that followed the Grateful Dead. Like I really got a lot of different types of, more diversity. More diversity. And I ended up, I graduated college. I ended up in Miami. I was supposed to go to Europe right after. And my friends had given me like a couple thousand dollars to get an ounce or so of blow to bring to Europe on our backpack trip. I mean, I had no, like, I don't know what I'm thinking. But anyways, I was like, sure. And I knew better than to buy it a week beforehand, right? Sure enough, I bought it a week beforehand we were leaving. And... I never made it to Europe. I made it to rehab. So you used the whole thing before it without going? Oh, yeah. It's so funny because, you know, Ingrid is, is writing a book about her life as a, as like one of the founding fathers, yeah. one of the founding people of the Miami nightlife. And she was looking up a thing about drugs in the eighties and she right. found dopey. And like, I didn't expect your drug use, your drug era to be this robust and oh, fucking yeah crazy <laughs> oh like, yeah like because by the time you're doing nightlife stuff you're not high no and it's and it's also so pervasive within nightlife stuff so let's get back to where you were that you're gonna go backpacking you had an yes. ounce of coke and, and you didn't ever make it to europe i never made it to europe i went on a run and the last night of my run when i knew this was it I, it's really a two-year run because you're talking about two years at university of maryland and i went on a uh, and then I, I, I was home back with my parents, which was just a catastrophe. It was just, I, I really couldn't keep my shit. I couldn't go one or two days without drugs. I just couldn't do it. And so I went on a run and did the Coke. I ended up that night. So I said to my, after a three day run, I go, I drive myself to new life is the name of it. North Miami beach. And I feel like I've heard of my it. counselor from Concept House worked there. Did you ever shoot the coke or no? Never. Okay. Smoking and I was never around needles. Snorting free Snorting Did you ever smoke crack? Oh yeah. Yeah. Tons in that in that period was there a lot During of crack that period, smoking? There was crack smoking, but mostly for us it was more free base. It was I think that a lot of my I don't know, I like the the whole like a procession. It was a ceremony. It was very the like ritual. the ritual that, uh, that whole thing of the getting and using and finding ways and means to get more. I love that part. I loved Me too. standing in the seven 11 waiting for, you know, the or drug, finding it, all of that, all of that. Was so why very and crack, appealing crack to me. didn't have the same oh, je ne sais quoi. It, Jonas, I, I, you know what? I, I went into a few times to go cop in the hood and I got robbed twice. So yeah. No, they just snatch, you know. It wasn't it wasn't them just it, getting you high and hanging out with you. <laughs> no, and I shouldn't know. I got robbed twice. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not going to go. I, I was just trying to score dime bags of weed at the time. So when I graduated, it was a two-year run. I went, said, okay, so on the third day of my run of not sleep paranoid, I can't explain to you when you've been up that long, your 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 senses are so, like, everything hurts. Sight, your, especially sound. All that. It's too much. Too much. I had nowhere to go. Nobody wanted me on their couch. So I went to the village inn where this woman that I knew was a bartender. She rest in peace. She was there. And I said, I'll just hang out here. And then 
I'll figure something out. So I hung out there and she said, listen, I started doing lines on the, on the bar. She goes, you got to put that away. There's too many cops. And I understood like cops are coming. So I jump in my car and I said, that's it going to rehab. So I drove myself to new life, new life, which is a, a North Miami general hospital, not in the best block at that time. Now it's in a great block, but 125th street. So I get there and I call my counselor from concept house. He had moved there. And he was very instrumental in my life, in my family's life. His name is Charlie McGowan. So to this day, I still think about him. He passed away, but one of the best people that just influenced your life in such a, such a way. And he said to me, if Ingrid wants to get sober, tell her to come, come in the morning. So it was midnight. I said, fine, I'm just going to spend the night in my car. And so I didn't know that... In, in the middle of the night in a, in a hospital that there's cops coming in and out of there all night long, I guess, bringing people, whatever it is. So I was like, fuck this. I, I had, I still had at least a quarter ounce on me, maybe like an eight ball. And so I said, I need to get into a hotel. I had just enough money to get into one of those shitbag hotels right. on Biscayne Boulevard. Okay. So I find by myself, it's all hookers, pimps, drug, drug dealers, dealers, drug you addicts. Name it, yeah. a Howard Johnson, I give him my fucking money. It was $79. I'll never forget it. Give him the 79 bucks for a night. I said, okay, I'm just going to finish the, the rest of it. And I yeah. couldn't. My nose was so fucked up. Right. And I had beers. And so I did cocoa. You know what cocoa puffs are? With the cigarettes. Yeah, cigarettes. Yes. You roll them up in yeah, the... Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I was smoking those. I didn't really like doing that that much. I didn't like the... We called them coolies for some reason. Coolies? Yeah. I don't know why. Call them cocoa puffs. Yeah, cocoa puffs sounds better. Yeah. So did Cocoa Puffs until I literally, like, I don't know how I did it, but I literally passed out. Again, one of those, you just pass out. I wake up three hours later. I said, oh, time to go to read. I still had it. I was going to do it. I'm ready to go now. I'm ready to go <laughs> the now. The eight ball's gone. No, the eight ball's not gone. So oh, I leave Jesus. it in my pocket. I did three fat lines. Go there, and I go. I see the counselor, and I, ha I throw it to him. He says, come with me. And I was like, what? He goes, he flushes the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, wow. okay. So that was it. So I stayed there detoxing for two days, two days, for two weeks. And then I went to transitions that's still around today. And I was one of their first patients. And, and, and that and, was the last time you did Coke? No. Okay. Okay. But that was the last time I did Coke for six years. And, and that's the longest time. And that in that time of sobriety, that's where I met Madonna. I got into the music business. I moved to Los Angeles. I did all those things. And when did you get into, how did you get into nightlife in sobriety? Okay, so. Isn't that like a weird Okay, so thing? I wasn't sober when I got into nightlife. I'm going to explain to you. So now I'm sober, living in Los Angeles. You going to meetings? Going to meetings in LA. Not as much as I should, but, but you know, I was hanging out with, you know, the really cool, like, Tupac was my neighbor. I, him and I would go watch movies. I never saw him do, all I saw him do was smoke a blunt and drink gin and juice. He, him and I would hang out a lot. I lived in East LA. Like, Were you working in the music industry then? I was working in the, in the fashion industry at the time. I was actually, I did a lot of modeling and I worked in the modeling industry. Did Madonna date Tupac? Yeah. 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 Was that then? It was then. Tupac was awesome. 
Now, you are famous for being a lesbian. Right. And I've heard no lesbian in the story. <laughs> you know, so like, were you so were you I going? don't I don't I don't listen. And so, I say so, famous in quotes, quotes like yeah. I've, I've read a few articles no, about know, you and, and you're and a famous lesbian. Fluid and all I'm hearing about is, is men, yeah, because that's all I dated. Right. And then I was fluid back in, I guess, in, in the 90s. So the women weren't. I, I, I was I, men were always my priority. Women would come in and out. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like my re, I ha, I've had relationships with women. I've had relationships with men. I don't say I'm anything. Actually, I, right. I'm fluid. I don't have. Is it annoying that you're famous for being a lesbian? It kind of is. Yeah. In a way, where they they just know that because it, of this one incident that happened in 1991 between Sandra Bernhard, myself, and they got it all wrong. They don't even have it right. It's like st- that Madonna stole me away from Sandra. It couldn't be farther from the truth. The question is this, though, because like I had that knowledge before you sat down at the kitchen table and right. told me the pretty much most wall-to-wall cocaine stuff story, on, on yeah. Dopey, I think. Yeah. I think this has been the most wall-to-wall coke story on Dopey, so congratulations. Thank you. And thank you. But so you're fucking in L.A. Yeah. You you have a program. How do you hook up? Like, when do you become a big-time model? Like, when do you start oh, so, getting so, involved with all these? Because, well, like, last I heard, you're fucking driving to the Milford Plaza fucking, <laughs> you know, like, doing lines. So, in 91, I met Sandra in Miami, right? When she was in Miami. And she's like, you're hot. I'm interested in you. She said that. Yes. Yeah. So, and I also was like, shit, I'm not doing anything in Miami. Like, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to live this whole life out there. And I'm going to get into something else. Miami to me was just, I, I, I didn't. Where you're from? It's where I'm from. I just, it, it wasn't, I wasn't happy. I just wasn't. My friends were already married, having children. And I was the wreckage of your past. Wreckage stuff. of my past. Your parents were so controlling. Exactly. All those things. So I moved out literally from one minute to the next. I lived with Sandra for a, for a while. I had a job. It was just a part-time job. I didn't really, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. That's where I met M, Madonna, and which was at her birthday party. And then after that, she had asked me to do the sex book. And and you famously made out with her in the sex in book. In one of the in one of the scenes, it was a fantasy. Okay. So so people were thinking that, okay, so there's a relationship. There was never a relationship in a, a, a romantic relationship. It was always a, a really, friendship. Yes. And and the how did and the a friendship, very good even, friendship how did it even like how did you become friends? So I think it was during the time that we started in the set when we started running together. And then I flew back to Los Angeles. She lived in LA and she would call me to go running in the morning with the trainer that she had. And that's how sort of it developed. And then we became social friends. And then next thing I know, then she also bought a house in Miami when we were down there shooting the book. And so, but it's funny because Madonna was like the biggest star in the world, in the world at, at the point. time. And, it was, and you were an MTV fan. So it must, was it, was it like so intimidating I, at first? Was it like just crazy exciting? It was, it was so weird because I never felt any of those things always felt natural. Like it always felt it like, felt like it was supposed to be, it was supposed to and be, and you were a model. And every, yeah, everyone even, seemed to be interested in giving you drugs and having you around. So maybe you were just used to being so, so magnetic. So so maybe. Maybe it's just because I had, you know, and M was one, Madonna was one that, like, she liked diversity. You know, like, she liked... Did you tell her your crazy stories? Oh, yeah. She must have loved that. Of course. And I, the fact that I'm Cuban, I, I think she felt 
for whatever reason, we just sort of you click had a connection. Yeah, Anybody, I, I, I can't mean, explain it. It, that, it just that's it is fine. what it is. Yeah, and we became best friends till this day. We're still really, really close. I mean, you know, I consider her one of my best friends, and she, I know she does the same. How I just does, don't exploit it, you know. Listen, I, I just, I, I think if I was best friends with Madonna. I would talk about, I would, if, if, I, if I met somebody, they would probably want to know how I became best friends with them. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So no, that, I have no problem yeah, with it. But I, what I really want to know, right. because you're long-term sober, right. like, I, I'm, so, I'm very interested in the relapse. I'm also interested in how you built this career in nightlife in sobriety. Got it. Okay, so I think in 95, 94, 95, I started coming out to New York a lot from L.A., and one day I was at a, an event with Madonna and I had seen a photographer that I had done this Versace campaign with for Interview Magazine that I had just worked with. And I said, I was staying at M's house and I said to, I'm going to go back to their house and I'll, you know, for an after party and then I'll meet you. And they were all smoking a joint. And I just like, after five years of complete sobriety, nothing, I, they came to me and I took a hit off of it and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? But I, believe me, it wasn't, obviously I must have thought about it at the time. Did you feel like left out hanging out with rich, fabulous, famous yeah, people who could like, do whatever you yeah, wanted and you had to have this program? Totally. I, and, and looking back at it now, it was, uh, before I picked up, the thinking was already there, you know, and yes, and I left out and I wanted to be cool and all those things that, you know, like you're in high school type of thing. Sure. And I'm sure it's like a weird version of that, like, like nightlife in general. It's a weird high school thing because it's totally, everybody's attractive and and everyone wants to play and there's probably clicks and whatever. I was at, I was at home getting high, but please (laughs) from that, from that joint that I smoked that day, then in two months I was, you know, back to snorting Coke with, but this time I was snorting Coke just with a lot of famous people. It was like, Everyone, you know, in Simon LeBon from Duran Duran. No, <laughs> no, but very. I, I was, and those were my friends, and those are the people that I hung out with. And then we were like, in. Did every- you do cocaine with Bobby Brown? No, oh, but wow. I, I, I swear to God, when I was one time that, may she rest in peace. Whitney Houston was at a house in in. I was in Miami. We were at the Versace house, and it was like she was supposed to do the the Academy Awards. And I think she she had to call in six. Celine Dion had to help her. And I I was two days before that. I was actually flying to Los Angeles at the time because I was going to the Vanity Fair party, right? And I saw Whitney with Bobby at the and she had what's what Coke they call buggers. yeah no 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 she had we call them snow tires okay and so and when I heard she she must have been up that this was like three days before so it wasn't a surprise to me. That on Sunday she couldn't make it to the to sing at the Academy Awards. You, know, you knew she, she didn't have a chance. She didn't have a chance in hell. But but especially she, at that time she was really skinny and yeah I just knew. But you didn't get high with her. No 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 I was completely sober at the time. Is there any amazing celebrity that you got high with that you can name? That I can name? I'm gonna. Name... And I know I'm very low class to ask that. No so no no that's okay. Me. I was thinking about that. The one person that I can share the story because it's been so long. And I think he's shared his story is one that, that I that I got high with was Sean Penn, which is nice. Madonna's ex. Yes. And Holy. Spicoli. We were doing Coke one night and we met up at the Bowery Bar and we went back to 
my place. I was saying, no, both our place. I was staying at the Royalty at the time. Were they together then? No. No, no. This is five years. But she, he knew how close you were with her, Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. That was like, oh, my God. She cannot find out. Like, M does not like drugs, like, at all. Like, nothing. Zero. She doesn't like it. It's not what she signed up for. Like, with me, if I'm doing drugs, like, no way. She, with him, too? I don't know about him, but not as at the time they didn't have a relationship. But as far as our friend, like she didn't like. Did that. she get pissed that you were hanging out with him? No, but she found out about it later and told him, "Don't you ever fucking do any coke with Ingrid again." But anyways, so what happened was I was with Sean. And we ran out, so we had two choices: either a call someone, I'm not going to say who it is, who had some, and wake his ass up. Was it Lawrence Taylor of the New York Giants? No, so. Call, wake his ass up or his other his other thought was let's go to let's go to alphabet city on the lower east side on the lower east side you want to go to no spanish harlem okay and i was like let's go to spanish harlem then he goes no, no, no i can't let's go to spanish i said no i chose my because you can speak spanish i said no i spoke a i said call your friend call your friend call your friend no and then he was like I was can't, it robert downey jr i can't tell you who okay it is. i'm sorry Keep going. <laughs> so then I said, oh, my God, I know someone who has, right? So we go there. Sure enough, she was up and doing it. We go over there. Was it Cindy Lauper? No. Okay. So we go, we get. He, he, she only had a little bit left. He took the rest of it. He had to go. <laughs> so we go back to his place, which is in Tribeca. Uh-huh. He was shooting a film called Dead Man Walking, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So he got an Academy Award for it. So I said, Oh my God. He was like, Oh, my call time's at eight o'clock. They're going to come pick me up. I said, How the hell are you going to? He's a professional. So, prof- how are you going to learn and keep your lines, right? So, I've never seen this before in my life. So, he goes over to the, to the refrigerator, right? He takes out a, a bottle of, of whipping cream, right? Like a, does a whip it. Yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> One, two, three. I'm ready. He goes to fucking work. I, on the other hand, have been up for two days. And take a flight back to Los Angeles because I couldn't be another day in New York. Because meanwhile, I had, he's like acting his ass off. He's acting his ass and got an Academy Award for that role. Did he he's, ever get sober, Sean Penn? Yeah, I think Sean now. Sean's like a badass. I don't know if he's sober, but he's a badass. He's yeah, like, saving the world. Saving I know. the world. Yeah, he's yeah. like, yeah. I don't think he was an addict. I just think he, you know, he's a very capable person. Yes, he's. But that was a just, great story. Great story as far as as stories are concerned. I was just really blown away, and I was like, "My God, the guy got Academy Award for that!" I just remember that night. But so I stayed about six months, six seven months, and during that six seven months is where I met Chris Pasiello. So I remember I was going to Miami a lot from Los Angeles. He calls me on the phone and said, "Look, I'm opening up a new club, Risk. I'm going to sell it, and I want I want you to be my business partner." Why did he want you to be the business partner? Because he was smart. Look, he knew how to run a club, but he knew I knew people, people, especially people. That- and you had developed. I mean, like, it's weird, though, Ingrid, because you developed this career yes. kind of like in between using and not using a hundred percent like and, and like a, a major career. If you're if you're producing the life beat stuff, you're yeah. making a book for Madonna. Yeah. Like you, you're develop. You have this crazy. And that's kind of the article. You sent me a couple articles yes. about you so and you- everyone is like. This woman is is magnetic to people and everyone got magnetized to you in all these situations. So I guess Chris was like, wait a second. If I have this magnetic fluid beauty right. in my corner, she's going to bring people and we can make something special, special in South Beach. Exactly. And Chris had the, the knowledge of New York clubs. 
I had the knowledge of the PR. Okay. We didn't have now it's just different. You have Instagram, social media. Back then I had my Filofax, which is worth a billion dollars. And it was like the same thing that had you stealing Coke from one guy, getting Coke from the next and going to the next spot is how you knew how to get whatever you wanted done when you wanted to. Absolutely. It was the street smarts. Yeah. It's also just you're willing to do what is necessary to get this fucking shit accomplished. A hundred percent. And by the way, failure was not an option. It was just not. And I knew I could not go into that nightclub and open a nightclub fucked up. So liquid is born. Liquid is born, but before liquid, I, I, I needed to detox. I had been doing Coke for five days. Was not, he like, you need to be sober to do this? Or no, you knew that? I knew that. He did not know that history of me. He just, he knew me. He didn't know you were strung out at the time. Well, he did because I did Coke in his club, but he just didn't know. And, and I am sure that, that he didn't he, know the depths, the depth of my, my history and, and you know, my addiction history. And so. I knew that I needed in order for me to be successful. And this was my shot. This is my hometown. I knew exactly in my head what I wanted to do with it. And what was the vision? The vision was Studio 54. That right. was my vision. In 1996. In South Beach where nobody. What year was it? It was 95. Yeah. And it was where no one, no one had. There was only very select people knew about South Beach at the time. There was just the models, the photographers. Some celebrities, but that is it. It's not mainstream like it is today. Well, you guys made it that way. So I feel like created a monster is what I feel like sometimes. You know what I mean? It's it's something. It is. But to me, the most important thing was that it had to be really good music. I wanted the people to be fantastic. I wanted it to be celebrity driven. And I wanted more important than anything is... Press, press, press. It's how I worked with my my other... When I was working at Sony Music and working with John Sakata and all, and all the rest of the people, that's what I did. I magazine, Back then, we, you don't have the press you have now It's or Instagram. You have to like... You have to cultivate it yourself. Cultivate these relationships. And so I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Put Exclusivity minimums. plus celebrities plus it's Florida, so it's warm. And it's like, yeah. it's like to make Miami not old and Jewish or young and Cuban, but cool. Correct. And so I'd also been exposed to a lot of music from London. You know, back then was the Ministry of Sound and Cream. You had like Massive Attack and all that drum Goldie. and bass. I loved it. Yeah, drum and bass. And- so you went from new wave alternative to crazy dance music edm yeah and we also another thing that we did was build that big dj which didn't exist the big dj didn't exist and so we had a gay night that was very important to the the renaissance of south beach the gay community had a huge part making it cool right making it fun making it fun happening it happening all of the above my hat's out to there and i embraced that Chris embraced that. Cool people. I mean, gay people kind of like, they changed Chelsea from being a horribly fucked up neighborhood to being an incredible neighborhood. Correct. I mean, they're always in the forefront of pop culture. So we surrounded ourselves with, in gay culture. We had Sunday night was our gay night. That's where I would see, it's the only time I saw GHB and ketamine. Like these, I never did those kind of drugs. I, I hate those kind of drugs because I don't. I never did GHB. I did ketamine a couple of times. I liked how did it you? felt. Yeah, a yeah. lot of, so GHP though, I would see it mostly in the gay night. I'd see them come, you know, call, you're calling rescue. This is like four in the morning and these guys are literally like passed out and 
seizing or whatever. Seizing. Yeah. And then they're going into all of a sudden they just wake up, jump off the ambulance and walk in. I, I mean, I saw that a hundred. I was like, who wants to feel like that? I don't. But how did you get recommitted to recovery? So when I opened liquid, so I'd been sober. I went to Hazleton for like 10 days. I got kicked out. For what? <sighs> Rehab romance? Exactly. With a guy that was detoxing from. Was it Bill? No, did it Bill, wasn't Bill. Did Bill I turn up? His name. It wasn't even a romance. We were caught like he was just somebody I wanted to hang out with. It was like it's I, still a rehab romance. Whatever. Come on, Ingrid. So they asked me to leave. I left. The guy I left. Wait, you, is that when Madonna sent you to Hazelden? Well, yeah, she was. She said, "Listen, you got to get your shit together. You got to go." And she helped me like along the process of getting into Hazelden. Yeah. And so you had another another so, uh, flirtation yeah. in Hazelden, yes. we call it. And what, call and, it. And then, and then they asked me to leave after two weeks. And I said, okay, that, I'm good. And that was enough. And that was enough. I went to straight to Los Angeles and literally dove into that community. So a lot of the people that I was getting high with now, I see them in the rooms. You know, like slowly but surely coming into the rooms and i got into women's meeting i went into sunday nights i all the pot like at cedar side like i went to all i had a sponsor i really just immersed myself in ways that i hadn't before i have to say i loved getting sober in la i loved the community they were all my friends it was in miami it was very hard it was just different but you ran liquid in miami right well i hadn't opened it yet so you, so you got a foundation in LA. So I got a foundation just, but remember, I went to rehab in August. I opened liquid in November. I was Amazing. four months. My, I asked my father. I started dopey when I had four months. Did you? Yeah. See, so, so. It's a thing. So it's a thing. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, the best, I think the best treatment for addicts is to feel useful and productive. Right. And have a vision that you can work at and it's like you never stop once you have something that you love that you can work at it's the greatest piece of your recovery because you don't want to sacrifice it a hundred percent and you feel like a productive member of society and you're having fun and you're having fun and you build it and it gives you self-esteem totally do you know what i mean yeah you're known for something other than being a fuck up being a fuck up you know what i mean or being whatever someone's friend nothing bothered me more than that they all i'm a sycophant how can you be a sycophant as someone who's been your friend for 40 years you know it's like it's crazy like but that's but that's like i hated that and there's no i know that that will always come up but i'm proud of my of my friendships with anyone anyone. but you are an accomplished human being. but i am accomplished in my own right now i am Thank God. And that's why liquid was that important to me. And that's why I knew I had to stay sober. And it was the only way I could. So So from then till now, you've been sober. No. No. So (laughs) yes and no. So in 95, yeah. So I opened up liquid. We made, Chris and I did open up Joya. I asked my parents again for money. They said, no, you know, what do you know? And I said, fine, you know, this time I don't need your money. I have my own money. So I invested and then then by the third place they saw that and now i'm really sober right and now this bar now my dad's begging to give me money and i was like no i don't want your money anymore i don't need it i don't need it and he was so he went around me and went to chris and got and gave him the money whatever so then we were opening up palm beach right so i opened up three in south beach i'm opening up one in palm beach which was called lick the liquid room liquid room and the night of the opening the U.S. Marshals that morning, we were up there getting ready, and that's when they arrested Chris. And Donald Trump was supposed to be the... What did they arrest him for? On a RICO. They got him a RICO for just old stuff. Or yeah, old stuff. He was just involved with, with 
people from his past. You know, you can't really help who you who you grew up with. How well did you know Donald Trump? Very well. Do you still know him? I know him because he's the president of the United States, but I knew him very well. He he was going to open. I've been to his house a billion times. I actually even was one of the judges in the Miss USA pageant. That's so funny. He helped me when I was trying to open up a nightclub in New York, and I got rejected by the community boards and Giuliani. I didn't know that Chris was under investigation. And so you didn't open a club here? No, they didn't let me. I was no. I, now we know why, because Chris had been under federal investigation for two years. Did and, they? What did they pin on him? Well, he went to jail for seven years. And he is now so successful. And he was still your partner when he was in jail? No, we sold everything. Once he got, once he got, listen, I got pregnant and Chris got put in jail, but the feds made my life a living hell because they thought I knew a lot more than I did. But I was in front of a grand jury and all that kind of stuff. It was, they, they ransacked my house. And they, Liquid and Joya were done. Done. Well, Joya, Joya kept going for a bit. I sold my end of it and Chris sold his. Liquid, we sold to someone and we sold bar room as well. Made money off the sale. I was ready at that point. I, I was gonna be, I had already been in this industry for- Was it hard to be sober and be a club owner? Yes, yes and no. Yes and no, like did I get thoughts of it? Yes. Were but you there a lot at, late at night and stuff? Not as much as Chris was. I I was there when I had to be, and I, I I did the day stuff, you know, a lot of, especially when we had parties and clubs and PR and marketing and all that stuff. And yes, I was there at night, but not as much as Chris was. But yes, it was difficult. I drank Red Bull and, you know, smoke a cool once in a while. But Did that, your best. And danced and, and stuff like that. And so, and I was a host when I needed to host whoever was coming. So I stayed sober. So yeah, so 95. I never picked up a drink or a drug in any of my clubs. And I was sober all the way until I had knee surgery. And then I had never known about Vicodin, Percocet, none of that. When was that? I want to say like eight years, I guess, after, let's see. I was probably, my son was probably about three years old and I got into the, the whole pill, opiate thing. Opiate thing, yeah. And that was, <clears throat> I didn't go for treatment or anything like that. I just went into. Were you like seeking out pills, buying pills and weird oh, places? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was. Yeah, I, I never thought I had I never drank again, never did coke again. But but And you never did heroin. Never did heroin. I but I got into the Vicodin. You know, that Percocet, that, that stuff. Yeah, that stuff made me energy. You know, it was like like Yeah, uh, I know. I had the same thing. Did it? Yeah. Gave you energy like I wasn't like nodding or anything. Opiates like that. gave me energy and they made me nod out. Like I depending I, on how much, is that it? Depending on where I was in using them. Like I remember when I but I had energy from doing dope. You know, I would do heroin. I'd clean my house right. in the beginning. You know, I would, and I loved it. Right, right. How bad was the pill thing? Yeah, a lot. I guess I was, you know, taking 10 or 12 a day, I guess. Not that I know people take 50, but I'm a little girl. I would throw up and, you know. But you, did you need treatment for it? I never went to treatment for it, no. How did you get off the pills? You just I went yourself? to a guy and he put me on Subutex. <laughs> wow. So that's how the subs came in. When was that? So I started, okay, so in 2000, I've been on him for a long time. I want to say- So you're still on Subutex? Yeah, I take wow. subs. Wow. So I've been on, and I've had surgeries. You know how fucked up it is to take surgery, to have surgery? Because you can't take opiates. Can't take any. Okay, so I, I broke my, my, my leg two years ago, water skiing. I, got, I broke my leg, got COVID, couldn't have surgery for six weeks in bed. And so when I go- to do surgery, I said, listen, I've been, I've been doing subs for 
X amount of years. Okay, try not to do it two days before I did that or a day and a half. Did you go into withdrawal? No, because I, I had come down to just like half of one. Like I was What's taking one dose? milligram, one milligram at that time. I was able to do one milligram before like I brought myself from 16 milligrams to one milligram. And so when I got there, okay, so, you know, they can't give you fentanyl. They can't, none of that because it doesn't work. Because you're blocked. You're blocked. You're completely blocked. So you're fucked. So I was like screaming at the top of my fucking lungs the first day of after surgery, screaming at the hospital. Because you're in all this pain. My God, yeah. So finally, the guy, they, they gave me a, a shot of intravenous tortol. Wow. Thank God. That was the only thing that worked. Tramadol or tortol. It was the only thing that worked. And if it wasn't, I had to stay five days to get intravenous. Tramadol never touched me. My, my wife got really high from tramadol. She like. It doesn't she, do one thing to yeah, me. Yeah, it didn't do anything to me. She threw but, it away because she thought she was getting too high off the tramadol. Tramadol? Yeah. But it's like aspirin. But some people get high off of really? it for some reason. So like, so you, how long have you been on, on Subutex? Oh, I've been on Sub. So I, I know this is a weird addiction, but I was addicted to. Okay, so during the on and off from 2003 to 2008, I was doing the whole pill thing and I got into Hycodin, which is liquid Vicodin. Wow. And I learned about liquid Hycodin from the old addicts back in the 80s, from the heroin addicts that they used to take Hycodin, the junkies using the the syrup, yeah, when they couldn't find dope. Dope, right? So I had a a guy that was a. a CVS pharmacist, he was a gay guy, and he recognized me, and I went in to get a bottle of, of something, of Vicodin or something on the beach, and he was like, oh, no. And so I used to go Let me there. get you the Vicodin. And would you drink it? Yes, it's disgusting. It's gross. Jugs of it. I had jugs of it, and wow. that's nasty to get off of. It's, sh- it's disgusting. But it gets you high as shit. And you got off of it through the subutex. Through the subutex. How, what, how bad of an opiate period did you have? I want to say off and on, off and on. And I tried one time to get off Subutex on my own. And literally, I'll never, that is, I've never been so sick in my entire life. Never in my entire life. Which I was, is why you're still on it. So why I'm still on it. Yeah. What and, dose and, and are you on way, now? I'm, I don't, I'm on six milligrams a day, two, two, and two. But I have, like, I, I still have a torn labrum on my hip. Just broke my leg two years ago. My, my whole body from running and from... So I was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy. What is that? Cardiomyopathy is an inflammation of the heart and overuse of the heart. When I was 35 years old, it was between the coke, coke and dancing, the... Dancing, exercise. The, all that right? combination, I, I overused Overworking. it. Overworking. Yeah, and so I have to be on medication now the rest of my life for that. And so, does, is there any downside to being on that much Subutex now? No, I don't even feel it. Uh, some days I take six milligrams. Sometimes I might just take two milligrams. But it to me, I've never picked up another drug. I just it it just wiped all that away. I just never picked up. Co- I didn't even think about it. The only thing I did do was drink because I thought I could. And then in five years, I was full blown alcoholic. And when was that? Every door is a real door with you. It's Every amazing. Every door is a real door. I, I like it. So I hadn't picked up a drink since two. Since 1995, right, and this is 2011. So how much? How long is that? 16 years. 16 years. Nothing. And then 2011, you go full blown alcoholic. My father gets. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I beca- my father gets diagnosed with Alzheimer's young. He was in his 70s, and it was like a lot going on. But I, I, was invited to a party in Mexico, and I decided 
never in my life. It never, I got off the can, uh, airport. I see a high, like a stand there and I order a beer and I drank it. And I was like, I can't believe I just did that. Nothing happened. I'm not I'm still here. Right. After that, I had a shot of tequila. Then I was sober for four months. I was like, what am I doing? Like, but it's already in you. So after four months of not doing it, I, then it started where I was drinking every day, tequila, straight up, morning, and never did the drugs or anything, didn't smoke cigarettes, none of that. But a couple of years ago, my family was like, you, you, you fucking need to get help. My son didn't know anything about it. How he, old was he? He's 20. He was in college and he just straight lace. I'd always said, mommy's allergic, mommy's allergic. That's how right, he knows right, it. Right, 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 right. And when he found out, he was completely devastated. Did you go him. to treatment for that? I went to a place. Well, I guess it's it's a L.A. place called Method. Okay. It's more like. You live in L.A. now? No. I just, my friend had gone. He went. It's more like a, I don't call it a rehab. I don't know what it is. It's Sober living thing? Scam thing. thing. No, scam? It's, <laughs> this is a scam. Is it? You got sober, it's though. Fortune, Yeah. No, yeah, I got sober. I'm not going to say anything. I, you do yoga, you chiropractor, all that kind of, you right, know. Wellness shit. Wellness shit. Let's just say I did 30 days right during the COVID. I was there March 2020. Wow. Closed down, I flew home, and that was it. And I've been sober, and I never see myself. I never, I know, never, never. Now I know that I can't drink. Remember, I was just drinking. That was just, done it all. I've tried it. And the only thing that works for me, honestly, is sobriety. Yeah, I mean, it seems like your story is very, it's a crazy adventure. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us, especially me. But it's also like every, like there's a move and there's success. And it's like, you never like lost everything to your uh, addiction, no. which is awesome. But you would lose yourself in these places. Oh, well, and I was, yeah, and yeah, and, and depression and, 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 you know, isolation to me is complete, like that's a, that's a killer. Right. You know, that isolation. What about like dissatisfaction? Dissatisfaction. Like right now. So I haven't ha I haven't been working in, in a couple of years, like a real job, like, you know, since I COVID, you know, I don't want to go back to club. I'm sort of finding myself. In, what do you want to do? What do I want to do when I grow up? What I don't want to do. I, I don't really know. Like I've been so I've been writing, which I love writing, but I really need to get I like I may want to work in addiction. I think that that might my time wow. to get back i think you should figure out a way to make dopey big like you made liquid big okay and you can have I a can, spot in the dopey family i would love that i think that you guys what you do here is just incredible what you and chris started it's visionary really i mean you i i, I never had any of this when i was growing up i wish there was something like this i remember when we would i'd be driving home at six in the morning or driving wherever to get beer i used to see joggers I want to run them over. Right. I, was so I still want to. And so, and so I turned the radio on and it was all these people calling in saying, I haven't slept. And this was like a cocaine hotline back in the eighties right. that they would have. That was as close as anybody ever came to any, like, this is a real like story of, of crazy stories that you can relate to. I'd listen to like five of your, like five or six of them. And I'm like, all I'm thinking about, this is fabulous because a, you remember all the crazy shit. Right. It's funny as shit, but right. it's also like, I don't want to be there. I right. don't want to do that again. Right, right. Like, I know how that story ends. Exactly. And you know what uh, I mean? listen, Ingrid, fucking Hall of Fame cocaine dopey episode. And 
not Ingrid Casares, friend of Madonna, but Ingrid Casares. Right, right, right. Thank you for coming on. No, thank you for having me. You're kidding me? Toodles for Chris. Yes, fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles for Chris. All right, that was a nice long conversation with Ingrid Casares, and uh, and I wonder if Madonna's going to hear that interview. And now, as you know, I'm at my father's opulent lake house in upstate new york and so who is going to join us on the show but my father welcome back to the show dad yeah hi hello hi everybody what's wrong with you (laughs) nothing i'm trying to stay awake as usual now uh can you imagine if madonna's listening to dopey dad uh no i can't imagine that no do you think she remembers meeting me in 1987 uh no you did you met her in 1987 yes i'm not going to tell you the story because it's in the ingrid casares interview and i know you will listen to it and then you can comment on it now before we get into uh the uh, reviews. My dad is going to read some iTunes reviews. Right. Yes. You, you think you're about to read emails, right? That's why no, he made this I, look on his face. These are emails. These aren't reviews. No, I, it says reviews this time. Okay. Now, um, before we get into that, do you have anything you want to say about the egg roll or the wonton soup or about our visit at the lake in general? Well, if everybody was listening to his Patreon stuff, he steals my egg roll, he steals my soup, and then he apologizes afterwards. I think we put it on the show. That wasn't Patreon. Oh, that was last on, week on the show. Oh, on the big time, on the real show. That's what you wanted. Oh, yeah. Well, now you guys know what I have to put up with. Anyway, but I had a good dinner after all. By the way, did you clean up the dining room table no, for this th- woman that's to show an, up? No, this was, she came a month, a month ago. Month, months a ago. month ago. So it was still messed we up We did then. the interview in the kitchen. Oh, boy. And I gave her a dopey hat. It's, she was it's very It's embarrassing. Happy. It's really embarrassing that you invite these people... To the whatever, what do you call that apartment in Manhattan? Your your apartment, my father's apartment in Manhattan. Oh, I thought you, you give that big big to do about how. No, I don't give a big to do about. It. Why are you mumbling? You're falling out. He's. He, are you on anything, Dad, for your back? No. So why are you mumbling? I'm not mumbling. This is my normal voice. Now I want to say that you think the dining room table is the big deal, yeah. not the thirty-five year old. Uh, couch that's faded and falling apart. It's not the coffee table that has a strange finish to it now that it doesn't look. Do you remember how the coffee table used to look in the living room? It had sheen. Now it looks wet and clumpy. Did you notice that? No, I haven't. No. Oh, stop it. <laughs> what about that weird pull-out couch you bought? What, can you tell the story of the pull-out couch? Well, this is not a story, except some poor people had to sleep on it. It was he, terrible. He bought this pull-out couch for me to sleep on in the living room, but it's not like the size of a normal sofa, is it? It's like a futon. It's, but it's a miniature. I doubt he paid even $100 for that thing. That is some love. And then like he put it in the living room to pretend like it's furniture, but you're not fooling anybody. It doesn't look like furniture. I think the fact that I'm storing all my stuff in the dining room, it takes away from the fact that the apartment is so shoddy. That's that's terrible. No, you really got to clean up that dining room table. Would you be interested in having somebody maybe help redo the place? If somebody would help, that would be, yes. But I you might have to spend a little money on it. It's 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 dopination. It's fine. Are it's, you just waiting to die, and you're not going to make it any better before the end comes? I don't think it's going to get much better. No, Dad, <laughs> you can't you can't do anything for that place. No, that's it. Just the way it is. This is it. That's the way it is. You break it, you bought it. That's it. <laughs> Take it and leave it. How huh? old do you think the coffee table is? 
It's got like that's this. The, wait, it's got this faux bamboo finish on it. Wait, it's got to be from you're 1977. About the one that opens up into this huge table. I'm talking about the black coffee table in the living room oh, that the you've had one. that you've had since oh, 1975. My, well, are you kidding? Bamboo girl? finish. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's your mother's favorite table. The the living room used to be a jungle theme. The <laughs> oh, the, oh. the 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 walls were green. The lamp had those metal feathers on it. Do you remember that lamp that well, looked you, like see, a spear? For, for somebody with, with holes with in the brain cells, you're really remembering all this stuff. Amazing. The couches were a multicolored purple yeah, pattern. Your, your grandmother said, was, what did she say? She insulted mommy. She said, oh, that's an eyesore. And, and mommy got really upset. Well, it was purple couches in the green room. And then in around 1987, wow. uh, the year I met Madonna... They changed the living room. They painted the walls white. They got the black couch. They kept the slate table, and it's all still there to this day. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's time to update. Well, are you ready to do that? Now, I have a story for you before we get to the reviews, and I wish I had prefaced before Ingrid, before I played the interview and stuff, I told the Dopey Nation that I know your response to this story is going to be, you're kidding me. So it's it's too late now, but uh, there's a, an anonymous dope in the, and I want you just to relax. So you just I want your normal reaction, okay? There's an anonymous dope in the Dopey Nation that is going to give five hundred dollars towards a flight and hotel stay for DopeyCon. You're kidding me! I knew you were <laughs> going to say that, right? Can you believe that? Yeah, well, what if the guy takes the train? I mean, he can, and whoever wins just can use the money to get to DobeCon, right? Or or stay yeah, in the city. Good. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't want to put anybody up, right? In that messy apartment that you just described, why would anybody want to stay there? The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no, I guess. No. And and the way that somebody can win the scholarship, because my dad my dad lives for music on the show. Oh, absolutely. So the way that someone can get get the, the DobeCon scholarship is by writing a DopeyCon theme song and performing it. Wait a minute. You really think you're going to get submissions? Couple, yeah. I don't know. Time will tell. I know there's a few dopes that don't have the money to come to DopeyCon. Well, I don't think they're really musicians. That's though. what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think you can sing it. You can do whatever you can do to get a song to me. And who decides who wins this? Maybe you decide. Me? Maybe I, you're part of the, the judging. Well, okay. I don't want too much pressure. On Not that. too much pressure. All right. Anyway, let's get to the reviews. Yeah, they're gone. Oh, <laughs> God help me. Any thoughts on this trip this we've just had? Um, did you have a nice time with our family visiting you? Yes, I did, for the most, most part. Why, what was the problem? There wasn't any problem. Any problems that they come to mind? No, not really, except it's going to take a whirlwind of effort to put the house back together again. All right, read the, read the review, please. Oh, wait, all right, read the review. Oh, God. Um, oh, here's a good one. A hundred thumbs up by Mike, 554587. Five, Must be a zip code. Can't thank you enough for this podcast, Dave. Also, hi. You only read the ones that talk no, about you. No, this one is funny. Okay. Well. You stopped me in the funny part. Yes. Can't thank you enough for this podcast, Dave. Also, hi to Dave's dad, whose name escapes me. See? Yes. Okay. 
One problem. Oh, here, here it comes. Here we go. One problem I do have is the audio. It's never loud enough for me. I listen with my iPhone while I deliver for Grubhub, Uber Eats, Instacart, etc. That's interesting because sometimes on the, quote, phone, it's very low, but on the computer, it's higher. So you're saying do you when have you any listen, reason for that? When you <laughs> listen on your phone, it's low. Well, sometimes when I forget to turn up the volume. Right. I think that you see this new machine. Yeah. I think this new machine has it even louder than usual. I'm making it louder. Again, if anyone is struggling, oh, all right. if anyone is struggling to listen, put it in the reviews, but make it a positive review. I feel like I feel like the the two before that you never read either, no? Well, you read you all these? I don't feel no, like you've no, read I, these. I didn't read Late Whistler. I know. Do you want me to read? I'm going to read the Joey Pepper one. That's really funny. Where is Joey Pepper? Oh, no, the last one you met read was Jivey Turkey. Yeah. Okay, yeah, read Joey Pepper. Yeah, that's a funny one. Yes. Uh, so he, it says Nito, which was by Joey Pepper, one, Joey Pepper 77. So listen to this, everybody. I was 30 days clean and I, on my way to life of sobriety. Then I listened to Dopey. Now I smoke weed all day, every day, and I drink now, too. Now, he gives it five stars just to show you. Joey Pepper started a war with me. Yeah. But the, the interesting thing is I have a distinct recollection of five years ago being here uh, and getting a nasty review, uh, getting a nasty email from Joey Pepper and talking to Chris about it, maybe even recording the show with Chris about Joey Pepper at the house. I remember reading the... No, no, no. He was on the phone or whatever. Right, right, right. No, I know he was never here. But uh, that's how long Joey Pepper has been a part of the show. And he also, re he recently had 30 Days Clean. Then he relapsed, turned against the show. And now, who knows? I think he knows that it upset me, all those horrible reviews. So he's coming back no, around. I know, but he, he also gave a one-star review. But this is, I mean, he's being a little bit jokey. I think again. he gave some no-star reviews. Yeah, so this is five stars. So he's just kidding. He's trying that. to get back into the dopey good graces, yeah. Joey Pepper. Yeah. And, and Joey Pepper, are you going to be at DopeyCon? You know, Joey Pepper once sent me a box full of dopey decals gigantic stickers that I put up around the city years ago. So, Joey Pepper, you're not all bad. Um, what else you got? Well, this, this, this what, one. Do you have anything you want to say about Senior Dios Mio? He's certainly prolific with his writing. I mean, the guy is terrific. Uh, and he's, he's even getting very political now in terms of he puts out things that has nothing to do with Dopey also. He really is a big fan of yours, though. Well, he went to the same high school that your mother went to. And, uh, and and he calls me doctor, but I that's not really I'm not. You're a, certainly not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. medical or otherwise. <laughs> right. No, but you but you yeah. I don't want to. You could call me professor though. That's cool. Oh yeah yeah. <laughs> um. So you know, Senor Dios Mio is going to be at DopeyCon. That's very nice. I hope he doesn't assassinate you at oh, DopeyCon. No, well, wait a minute. You never know what kind of nut jobs are going. Not that Senor Dios Mio stop. is a nut job. No. I'm just saying, like you get a gathering of addicts no, and he's, stuff. He's terrific. He's terrific. Absolutely. And you want to read another one? Well, this is the one that you're going to say I'm reading it because it's my name. Of in course, here. that's probably I the mean, truth. I says Alan by John from Mansfield. Yes. Toodles to Chris. If you knew. He talking to the mic. What are you doing? Sorry. Well. You, now people are going to complain that they can't hear you. Well, I had a... 
Toodles to Chris. If you're new to Dopey, you should listen to some of the earlier Chris episodes. Shout out to Alan. That was that was the that was the thing. And that was five stars. Here, I, I want you to read the drivey turkey. Read already. great podcast, five stars from August 13th. Do you want me to read it? I well, if you want to, go ahead. Um, now, first of all, write a review, and my dad will probably read it on the show. He'll definitely Mention it if you mention his name in it. <laughs> he's very no. he's very interested he's, in seeing himself in print. Now, Dad, how much have I forget my sobriety? How much has Dopey improved your life just on the basis of feel? It makes you feel like forget about how you feel about me being sober and all this. Yeah. How about all the positive attention that you just get? It's it's terrific. <laughs> it's really good. It's very nice. All right. So this is from Strain Canes and. I need to give full disclosure here. Strain Canes is a dopey fan. He's an addict in recovery. He has a business where he makes walking sticks. Are you listening, Dad? Yes, but I don't... I don't care. You don't need to find it. I have it. Just oh. relax. He makes walking sticks out of marijuana resin, and he's making... You a, smoke the walking stick? I think you're not smokable. I think it's just... Oh. It's made out of marijuana somehow, and probably not resin. I don't know what it is. It's some kind of walking stick made from hemp or I don't know what it is. But he's sending me a personalized dopey walking stick. And he wrote this long email. So I hope Strain Canes is listening. It's too long for me to read on the show. I'm going to put it on Patreon. I need a shorter version for the show. Um, here we go. I found dopey while searching for a recovery-based podcast. I am currently back in my addiction. Okay. Listening to dopey allows me to hear what other people's struggles and addiction in the past that leads them into recovery. I like hearing the madness that comes with addiction because it lets me know I'm not the only one whose life has been turned upside down and sideways, but that recovery is still possible no matter how far down you get. The one thing that is truly helping me to have the courage to get off heroin is the dopey show. That's crazy. I hear people's experience, strength, and hope in every episode. Such an amazing job. Dave, keep up the good work and toodles for Chris. So thank you, Strain Canes. I really appreciate that message. It's crazy. To me, that whatever, seven, you know, seven years ago, I was, you know, seven years ago last month, I was smoking weed and taking pills. Ten years ago, I was still dicking around with heroin. Thirteen years ago, I was totally addicted to heroin, and I'm not anymore, and I make this weird show about drugs and drug stories now. And uh, I think seven years counts as long-term sobriety, and it, and it, or it's the beginning of long-term sobriety, and it's... I think it's uh, it's cool, but it's weird that I have this show that my 78-year-old father is sitting here on my weird drug show where you get all this praise on this show. Let me Before we go, give us your final thought about... All, let's pretend this is the last episode of Dopey, just for the hell of it. How weird is that, Dad? That after this weird life of drugs, addiction, debauchery, struggle, pain, hardship... This weird show exists, and it's 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 the thing that's helping this weird marijuana walking stick maker to get sober. No, I keep re I keep repeating. It's 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 wonderful, incredible, amazing. And can't you say something different? Don't you? You know, you, know, amazing, you don't know any. Incredible, you have wonderful. no you have no other adjectives. <laughs> Professor, <laughs> Doctor Manheim, nothing. It's, it's a it's something ah, that for, I don't need I don't want to hear you. I forget about it. Just forget just for, this nomination. He enough. asked me he asked forget me to it. make for, a comment forget and then, it. then he gives me this forget stuff again. it. It's like the one here who says she likes the bickering. Man, he's the one who starts everything. Just enough. 
That's it. Is there anything you want to say before we're done? Yeah, I think you should read the one by Yogi Bear. Okay, read the one by Yogi Bear. Yeah, by Yogi Bear. Uh, and I think it's rest in peace. Oh, Dad, you heard that Howard Stern's father died? No. Howard Stern's father died. I felt very emotional. Yeah, how old was he? 99. Wow. Yeah, well, his grandmother was... She was 99, too. Almost, yeah. 98 and a half. All right. I feel that there are three types of Dopey Nation residents. Here we go. This is who stopped listening when Chris died, those who continued, and those who started listening after Chris's passing. I fall in the category of I stopped. I was severely on a, in a bad place, and it felt like losing a friend. I was wrong. Rest in peace to those who have not won the battle. Stay strong. To those still in the struggle, happy thoughts and well wishes to those on the bright side of recovery. I'm here. I'm Zachary Eric Leatherwood, and I am an alcoholic. I don't think he's listening, though. I don't know why you read that when he's done listening. No, he's the one who came back again. You think he's back? Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you, Dad. You, this has not been one of your better appearances. I just need to tell I you. I thought that was a very moving uh, Thank you. review. Thank you. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we end the show? No, I think I have enough saying to you. I just want to say, yeah, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. Are you excited for DopeyCon? Yeah, I'm excited for DopeyCon. It's, uh, it's, uh, yes, David is working very hard and making all these plans for everything. Um, Not to mention I'm going to Utah in a week and a half for the Park City Song Summit. Right. But forget about that. Here's the question. <laughs> we're doing, at DopeyCon, we're doing a game show where all of the audience are uh, contestants. So if oh. you come to DopeyCon, you will be a contestant on the first ever DopeyCon stash word. And the prize will either be however much money you have in your pockets or a guided tour of your hovel. Which do you want it to be? Are you, you, you're referring to me now that this is the where it's take either Alan's money? Win Alan's money or see Alan's hovel. Well, certainly less expensive to see my hovel. Unless you just bring no money. That's really very unfair in both cases. All right, you so should have a better prize. For okay, there will be the, maybe there'll be some sort of dopey con hoodie or something. Oh, that's better. Yes. All right, all right, all right. Just relax. Um, thank you, Dad, and thank you, Ingrid Casares. And uh, there's going to be some really, really hardcore dopey stories on Patreon because they're just too long to read on this show. They're just too long. I think. Do you think anything I read on the show is too long? If it's too long, yes. Yeah, it's too long, it's too long. Anyway, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Thank you, Dad, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch the airplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so.
so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had